Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. It all began with a scream over 911. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co hosts, the ghost face with the most face, Justin Gerber, and we are back in Woodsboro. Or should I say, a Woodsboro movie set. That can only mean one thing lights, camera, Roger L. Jackson, it's scream. <laughs> Three. That is right. After a couple of episodes focusing on Randy's Rex covering the House of Sorority Row and Demons, we are back to cover all things Scream 3 from the year Y2K. Oh, boy. And we'll be discussing Y2K for a good 45 to 50 minutes during this episode. <laughs> we'll let you know when, so you can fast forward if you wish to. Uh, but no, Scream 3 from 2000, directed by the late, great Wes Craven, who helmed the first two entries, but not... Written by Kevin Williamson, and I think we'll be talking about that a little bit throughout the episode. But before we discuss who did write this movie, and before we bump into the always delightful and always hilarious Jay and Silent Bob, let's go around and discuss <laughs> the first time we saw Scream 3. Let's start with our special guest for this episode. Now, she was with us last season on one of the great Friday 13th entries. Jason Takes Manhattan. So I'm happy that she's here for the best Scream entry, Scream 3. And, and who are you? Hey, possibly I'm, the best sequel. <laughs> this is Jennifer Jolie Adams. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Ah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't not because she's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm continuing a trend of being in the uh, dubious episodes of the franchises because I also, I think, did the, <laughs> the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I think. Yes, you was, were. So. Wow, you're right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have you on for Hellraiser Revelations next year. (laughs) Book it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't have a memory of the first time I watched this movie, although I'm sure I saw it in theaters as close to opening night as I possibly could. Um, I do remember listening to the soundtrack a lot, or at least Hmm. the first track on the soundtrack, and then... Um, like I did today, rapidly switching to Scream 2 soundtrack. Because, <laughs> but yeah, I remember really, I, I love Scream. This is my favorite franchise. So yeah, I was down for this movie, Flaws and all. Even 20 years ago? Or do you feel the same Even way about it Even 20 years or? ago, yeah. I don't remember. You know, I, I tend to not really um, dislike movie. It takes a lot for me to really hate a movie. And hmm. um, there's still enough here that I really dug it. And I, the ending, I feel like you leave on such a good note with this movie that that's, I kind of walk away with that feeling. So yeah, I remember yeah, we'll, really digging it. We'll definitely talk about the ending, uh, yeah. which I feel is one of the stronger parts of this, of this movie. Uh, let's, mm-hmm. let's head on down South, the South side of Chicago. 
He's repping those white socks, beautiful <laughs> black uh, South Side jerseys. I've never actually seen him wear one, but I think he would. He pulled <laughs> off. And who is that? This is Mike Dewdrop Vanderbilt <laughs> coming to you live from the South Side. I do remember seeing this for the first time. Did see it at the show. Uh, I think at least the, the first week it came out or the second week. Pretty sure I saw it at uh, Sony Theaters Crestwood. I, this was a weird rewatching. This was weird for me because this was a really weird time for me because I was kind of a square in high school. But then, no. yeah, yeah, no, it's true. At about <laughs> nineteen to twenty, I started getting like I just started wilding out. I guess I guess say just drinking, acting a fool. And I remember I was <laughs> hanging out with this chick. We went to see Scream Two or Scream Three rather, and. Um, I would eventually lose my virginity to her at 20 years old. Well, let's get her name and address real quick here. <laughs> She's out in California somewhere. And the reason I know that is, so we had what I think they would say these days, 20 years on, a toxic relationship. Mm. We were just kind of shitty to each other. And this is just a funny story that I think everybody should hear. A couple, uh, about a year or two ago, I'm 10 and bar at Riff at the Rock Island Public House, right, 10 bar on a Sunday night. This guy and this girl come in real late, like last cups of tonight, real pleasant, uh, real chatty. And the girl says to me, you don't remember me, do you? And I Oh, says, my God. And I said, no, I do not. And she said, it's Sarah. You know, almost said her name. She said her name, and it was the same chick. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was one of those relationships where... You know, at the end of the night, sometimes when you're putting your head on your pillow, you think about the shitty things you do to somebody and you kind of you feel remorse. You know, you wish you could talk to him, this, that and the other thing. But he says to me, you remember that time that I put that cigar out on the back of your neck at that party? Oh, my God. Whoa. And I says, I didn't, but I do now. And she says to me, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Oh. No, it's never too late to apologize. It's not. And that's, what I, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I'd forgotten all about it, but this obviously bothered her. And, you know, the same way, whatever I did to her, whatever, you know, you know, altercations we had, like, and it's just, you know, let, let, let the past be the past sometimes. And sometimes it is just better to apologize. Make It will make you feel better. Even though I the other person really probably doesn't she, give a fuck. I thought it was really sweet of her to let you put a cigar out on her neck. Yeah. <laughs> to make amends, yeah. to make amends, you know, I think that's that's and one of know, the great steps. You know, it was yeah. a fucking white owl or a swisher sweet or some shit. It wasn't even a good. Well, let's say a black and mild or something like that. Yeah. Do yeah, you have a talk. scar? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I never see the back of my neck. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. I, yeah. I couldn't How tell you, you know? but you know what? Honestly, in hindsight, I was probably asking for it. <laughs> oh boy, probably being an ass. But anyway, let's well, talk well, now about you know why every time you get a haircut, the person goes. Um, okay, well, let's talk let's about Scream go. Three, though. <laughs> yeah, let's we'll go back to Scream Three. Not a lot of cigars in this movie that I can recall, but we've got one more uh, value a Halloweeny joining us here. He's from the North Side, Chicago. Yes, call it. Yeah, yeah, North Side. North Side's not bad. Um, uh, and, to and the left of Wrigley. Left of Wrigley. <laughs> That's what I always say. Right on till morning. Straight on till morning, just like Neverland, um, which is where most of their players just went. But no, uh, yeah, morning is in M O U R N I N G, which I've been doing the last week. Jesus and a half. Christ! But go ahead, um, go ahead. This is Michael, my lawyer, liked that. <laughs> nice, Rothman. Ah. You know, I don't really have that memorable of a first experience with this movie. I, I all I remember is that it was the first year of high school, and like what Vanderbilt was saying, like this is a tough time for me because I I hated high school early on. 
Like I had to go to, a, as I've said multiple times on all these podcasts, is that I went to a Catholic school and I went from like an Episcopalian school to a Catholic school. So it was like going from like, you know, a harder, you know, putting like the setting into difficult, the difficult difficulty setting in a video game. <laughs> it was like, I went to hard immediately and I was like, fuck. <laughs> so I wasn't like happy. And it was just kind of like in this like weird state and like horror for me, I wasn't as obsessed with it anymore because like from, I just thought like H2O was the end. So I was like, all right, well, I'm still into horror, obviously, but not nearly as, as like obsessed as I was in like say 97 and 98, especially when scream two came out. And I just remember, and I, cause I still did my newsletter, which was the Haddonfield times. And it was tied to my Halloween website, really hard time for the Halloween website. There was like nothing to cover. It was like, like, all right. Uh, oh, David Cope's adapting. David Cap's adapting stir of echoes into. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was very awkward. Um, but so I remember when this came out, it kind of felt like an afterthought. It was almost like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's been, you know, it feels like it's been three years, even though it's only been two um, since, you know, Scream 2, uh, you know, the trailer came out. Awesome. Neat. There was just a general malaise that was associated with it. And I, like, and I, I, want, to, I want to jump on that because yeah, it just felt like I had to go see this because I saw the other two. Yes, mm. exactly. I was not like particularly jazzed for it. No, it was kind of like the party had been over. I, I always talk about Absolutely. that feeling, you know, like when we talked about Nightmare is 5. Gone. Exactly. It's like six in the morning and there's seven in the morning. Everyone's there's still some people trying to keep the party going. But in your head, you know, like, eh, it's over. It's time to go home. Um, didn't hate it. You know, it was more of just like, again, it was just kind of like, yeah, that's a wrap. And I think a lot of that was, you know, as we'll talk in this episode is because the closing shot is great. So I just felt like, all right, cool. We could end. We can move on. We can go on to other things. But if you like think about it, like it was just such a weird time to release this movie, too. So I think it would, that was a part of it as well. We'll definitely be talking about so. how much the times affected this movie. Yeah. Or maybe it didn't, you know, who knows what the movie would have been like if certain events had not transpired before yeah. production. You know, for me, it's interesting. I remember hearing not so great things about it. And I remember we, I skipped class. I was, I guess a sophomore in college at this point. Yeah. Wow. So- no, no. Yes. Cause this was late 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was a no, early 2000. college. So it was like February, 2000. Oh, wait, no. I was a freshman in college then. Okay. It was Feb- and yeah, I remember February I skipped. Well, I was a I, freshman in high school, so we were over that distance. Wow. <laughs> okay, I right. was a freshman this was in gra- college. This was my doctorate. <laughs> I was in grad school. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I should uh, have been a sophomore in college, <laughs> and I don't think my credits added up to that. There you, but you, were, all, you were so close. But I remember I skipped class, and my sweet mate skipped class, too, because he was a huge fan of uh, the Scream movies and, and all the Kevin Williams and stuff. So I remember we skipped class. I remember it was a bright Tallahassee day bright this I remember the sun was shining and we went to go see like a one o'clock screening i think at the tallahassee square mall oh wow mike you know what i'm talking about so that was there's governor's square that was the one that's closer to like the where AMC the chili one is. was tallahassee mall right? and the alums yeah amc was tallahassee yeah, that's the one that's like yeah and so we i remember sitting down and not really feeling anything and it kind of delivered on the purpose of I was not going to enjoy this. But mm-hmm. my question is, and I guess this might not really pertain to the three of you, but I also feel like I was such, and this was, and I think this movie came out two months before Eminem's song Stan came out. Mm-hmm. So standing had not entered the cultural lexicon, you know? Thank God. But I felt <laughs> like I was a, a stan for Kevin Williamson at the time. Yeah. And that no matter what, I was not going to like this movie because mm-hmm. he was not involved. I really, looking back, I feel like that was my mindset at the time. So when I rewatched this a couple months ago, 
just no notes, just just watching it. I thought, oh, this is actually not not that bad at all. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the difference for me between the first two movies, which you can, I think you can watch the first two movies and just enjoy them really good for, for a variety of reasons. You can also dissect them, and I feel like they're also still very good. I think that once you really start to dissect and analyze Scream 3, it can fall apart. Oh, yeah. And I think when I was doing notes over the last week, for me, really breaking it down, it does start to fall apart. No, so that's the argument that can be made, right? Where sometimes you should just be able to just watch a movie and kind of check out and just enjoy it. And if you start to analyze it too much, maybe it's not as good. So that's, that's kind of where I am on it. It's been a real roller coaster. For me, with Stream Three, I'm sure the next time I watch it, I'll be like, you know what? I'm sure before the fifth one comes out, if you would think that a, a theater would have like a marathon or something, I think that'd be a fun marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, knock them out in a row and then go see Scream Five. They just did them over in uh, at the new Bev. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I feel like they'll hopefully do something like that here. I mean, I'd yeah. argue that this would probably be the most fun to revisit in theaters. I agree. Because like it's just it's it's got that sort of Scooby Doo caper sort of vibe to it that I think lends itself to being like right in like you know if you started this marathon at like six o'clock with Scream and you get to Scream three around like I don't know what ten eleven or so you know mm-hmm. maybe a little later it's a perfect movie for that time of the night mm-hmm. and so I think it would lend itself well to that I agree with you on the Kevin Williamson thing I mean obviously we'll talk a, lot, a little bit more about it I guess in another section but. It, it, there was that standing culture for me just because I had I had kind of aligned myself with like stuff that he was doing, you know, with like Dawson's Creek. I thought that, you know, his knowing what his writing was on, you know, other movies like The Faculty, the fact that he influenced a lot of that stuff, too. So like Halloween for that matter and Halloween, too. So, I, I yeah, I, there was a fandom associated with it. And I do agree with you that see, not see, seeing him removed, even as a 15 year old, I was hip enough to know that like screenwriters were so vital, you know, like I, I think that's something that we kind of take for granted nowadays with IMDb and the internet and having the internet and just knowing everything about cast and cultures and stuff like that. But like back then, even then, like I, I, maybe it's, I credit to my dad or what, but I knew that the screenwriter was important. So knowing that he wasn't a part of it, there was that sort of like, uh, this isn't going to be good. However, my fandom for Kevin Williamson ultimately crumbled when I saw <laughs> Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which I fucking hate that movie. But uh, We'll be talking about that, too. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry. All uh, coming up. All right. Well, let's hold off on some more of these because I think I really want to tackle the screenwriting um, cultural currency, Mike, mm-hmm. and the future section here. But let's go on to the next section. Uh, this is this was breaking news as of a couple of days ago before this recording that, that good old Mike Rothman. Wait, Mike, what's your nickname for this episode again? Uh, my lawyer like that. My Rothman. lawyer like that, Rothman. Thank you very much. And we're going to talk about that news in a section we call Top Story. Hi, this is Gail Weathers with an exclusive eyewitness account of this amazing breaking story. Okay, so the website Hello Hello Sydney, it's a big screen website, they landed an interview ah. with the Radio Silence folks. And... Some somewhat interesting information dropped. You know, once again, we're kind of having that anti-spoiler producer-director talk, you know, where it's kind of just words being distributed with no real meaning in some of the cases. <laughs> but I think there's some actual interesting things to take from this. So uh, this is from Tyler Gillette, who I believe is one of the, the directors, right? He's one mm-hmm. of the co-directors. Okay, cool. He yeah. says, the new film continues another Scream tradition, which would be unfathomable if broken. The self-aware commentary and current state of horror. It wouldn't be a scream movie if it wasn't self-referential and didn't talk about, you know, where the genre is 
at in a kind of pop culture sense. And then regarding the trailer, there's something that could be further delaying the first peak of the anticipated sequel. Yes. I, look, listen, folks, I've got quotation marks, and I've got quotation marks within quotation marks. This is from Hello, Sydney. They go, <laughs> regarding the trailer, there's something that could be further delaying the first peak at the anticipated sequel. The puzzle of assembling footage without revealing many specifics about the plot, death scenes, or other spoilers like Halloween Kills, which fell victim to it with its most recent tailor, trailer. So then, yeah, <laughs> then say Gillette so. says, that's going to be the challenge with the trailer. There's a lot in this movie that can be spoiled really easily. We're so curious to see how the marketing department is going to thread the needle because it's a very narrow one. So this is not just, it doesn't sound like this is just going to be a case of, hey, the main trio is back and they've introduced a new set of kids and there's murders going on in Woodsboro. Once again, no clue. No clue what this movie is going to be. No clue of the meta nature of the movie. No idea. And once again, Mm. I'm thrilled to be absolutely in the dark about this. Damn. I mean, yeah. it, it, go for it, Jen. Sorry. I was say, I wonder if that has to do with like the framing of the movie. Cause I was trying to think like what, if it's making a statement about the nature of horror today, like I feel like a lot of what I would think like it has been covered in scream four, which yeah. I think is, you know, so I'm like, what, what are they going to do? And I wonder if it is maybe more of like a found footage type framing or like the way the story is actually told mm. on the screen is going to be kind of a commentary. And so like all of the footage is through that lens. So I wonder if that's it or if like, I don't know. Cause I'm trying to think of what would be a spoiler just to see an image of, you know, and I think yeah. any interaction I mean, between the main trio and this new cast, I feel like there, there would be some type of a spoiler within that interaction. Yeah. 100%. I, like Ghost Randy, you know, oh, if he shows please up God. seaweed like, all like over Ghost him Randy or something. Like Ghost Randy with seaweed. <laughs> like he died at the ocean. <laughs> seaweed, yeah, you just, I love <laughs> that. I'm telling you, I hope they have the balls to go supernatural, but I know that they won't. I do too, man. I I, I wanted them to do it in this movie, but... Uh, I this just, one comes I close. I mean, I feel like this movie is a... This one comes close. Why they shouldn't do it. I don't know how successful it is <laughs> with the supernatural yeah, element not. of Scream 3. Um, granted, it's not really supernatural. It's more psychological, but... Uh, We'll talk about that yeah. in another section. I'm quite certain. I, what's what's strange about this next movie to me is exactly what Jen was kind of hitting upon. It's that the legacy sequel narrative or meta commentary on it was addressed in Scream Four, and they do mm-hmm. it really well. In fact, like the rea- like obviously you'll be talking about that in I think November. Um, but the ending of that movie really does hammer down all the points that you could possibly make about you know, legacy stars coming back. So that check, that box is already checked. So you can move on there, even though you probably could exacerbate from that, but I mean, it's just going to seem redundant. Then if you think of like developments that happen across Hollywood with regards to like me too, that was kind of addressed in oh, this yeah. movie as well. We'll talk about you know, that a lot. We'll be talking about it today, but like, so I, I do, I am racking my brain around like what it's going to be. And all I'll say is this, I won't spoil anything, but I do not think it's going to be the new nightmare mm-hmm. model anymore. That's all I want to say. So I, so, and that was one of the things that got me excited because I was like, well, that could be cool because then you could bring back anyone yeah. on the first one. You know, you know what they might do? You know, if you're doing a know. commentary on what's really popular in film is mm-hmm. the multiverse. And then Randy know, is alive that's actually, in the multiverse. <laughs> I bet you Randy, I, I'm almost going to guarantee that Randy comes back in this. I don't think Jamie, I haven't heard Jamie Kennedy being involved, although he's. I feel like the more ad- adamant that they are that they're not going to be involved, that's when you have to start raising yeah. your eyebrow, right? 
They're they're hiding mm-hmm. it pretty well. I mean, they're hiding everything pretty well on this one, which is exciting. Maybe they're going to make fun of the A twenty four elevated horror model. I was thinking that. Are they going to try oh, to make this could be. deadly? That'd be free. I will say, as much as I love the A twenty four movies, it would be very funny if the teaser was like this intense skittering violin, <laughs> you know, and just uber mm-hmm. close up of Ghostface, you know, totally symmetrical. <laughs> that could be pretty funny. I, I think you could do something well, with that. The, the, the biggest fear I have, and this is kind of a trend that I've been getting stuck in my craw a little bit lately, is the Force Awakens model. Yeah. Which seems to be the case with like all these reboots and re- reimaginings. And not to say, like, look, I, I think Force Awakens is fun. I think it's a fun movie. Arguably the, the best of those three sequels. Fall, like, yeah, yeah, no, seriously. Um, but the problem I have with it is that, like, you know, you can do that model, but like kind of shake it up mm-hmm. just a little bit more. And like, that's what I, that's what I'm worried about with like the new Ghostbusters. Like, especially like, you know, when I, I'm obsessed with this type of shit. So like, I will go on Reddit, <laughs> I will pour through merchandise, I will look through everything. So even before the new trailer came out for Ghostbusters, I had an idea that like, all right, well, they're probably gonna be revisiting the beats of the first movie. And then you look at the new trailer and it's like, oh, well, there's Gozer. There are the, the, the terror dogs, as we kind of hinted at in the first trailer. And you know that they're gonna probably do the same Force Awakens. I mean, it's even like the same music in the trailer. And you know that like, the old stars are going to have to somehow inform based on the beats that are very very similar to the first one. And look, that's fine because I'm, I mean, it's not fine because I think it's kind of, you know, lame and pedantic. I still think it could be a good movie, but like, it does bother me that like, we can't do something new when we go back to these old sequels. And when you think about Hollywood in a nutshell and how like IP is the only thing to open unlocking doors, it's the cynic in me is like, well, they're just making a remake with the sense that it's a sequel. Yeah, but Mike, but I don't think not. it's cynicism. Like, I it's think it's remake. realism. I mean, some of these yeah. things are, are just so in your face. You can't avoid them. Like you cannot say that force awakens does, doesn't repeat so much of the, so many beats from the original trilogy. You know, you, yeah. now, you can't say that about like the Phantom Menace in a lot of ways. I feel like the Phantom Menace is more original than force awakens. Which oh. is insane to think well, about. The whole prequel the whole trilogy, trilogy is more. It, it's but, it's wild. Ju- but it's all boring. That's the catch, it right? Is. So that's, that's the <laughs> yeah. trade off. Because <laughs> it misses the it misses the Kaz just because magic. it's ori- just because it's original. But doesn't isn't that mean too that bad that good. we can't come up I with know. anything? I shouldn't say can't because again, no idea what's going on. Scream Five. But it's too bad that you but can't be like. It- here's an original thought. Now it's like, well, this isn't original. It's safe, but it'll probably <laughs> work. And that's not very exciting. One, yeah. That's where I think I come off. Yeah. One, like that's the threading the needle is like, is it going to be different enough yeah. to be its own movie and not just playing the hits, but is it going to be the same enough for people to not say this doesn't feel like a scream? Yeah. Jen. So There's Jen, if somebody says in this movie, Oh, so you're the new Billy Loomis. <laughs> you know, like, is this going to be happening throughout the movie? I don't need, you know, hey, oh, one, kill one, me. one more concept I would love to see is that they take, horror fans and Twitter and horror journalists to task oh. and, really, and, and really hold up a mirror to that. Like, I think, that, I mean, I don't think that's so <laughs> well, you know that would be. You want to talk yeah. about commentary, like theater of blood, the Vincent price movie is so great Absolutely. because it's literally him faking his death and going after all of his critics and killing them. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I know. I feel like that would, I don't know how well that would go over with certain critics today, but uh, I laugh a lot. I think. I'd have a great time with it. I think it'd be. Uh, I think it'd be fucking. I one hundred percent agree. Yeah, the final act is like uh, the vendetta against a little podcast called Halloween yes. that has been uh, talking about Scream all we, season. We David it. Gordon Green fakes his death. David Gordon Green. Oh, the great. The great. It, it Gordon turns Green. out though that you David Gordon Green is teamed up with Caffrey. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you guys just bring him on the show so he can talk? I, about look, this. I like David Gordon Green. <laughs> 
That's why I was. So, I love him. I love everything listen, except for his horror. Mike, seriously, do you think that we would have launched the Halloweenies podcast if some random person was directing the Halloween reboot? Probably not. No, we were probably excited. not. I, that's why I was excited for it because I love his movies. I love Manglehorn. I love Joe. I love you know all the pretty horse. I mean, the, 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 they're fucking. He's a great director. You go look at his comedy. I just re, I just finally finished Vice oh, Principals so and Righteous Gemstones. Like I'd much rather oh, have mm-hmm. a fuck. I'd much rather have an, another original series like that than a fucking retread in The Exorcist. Like I know that's that's a whole other. We'll definitely be covering that. that, I'm sure. Like we've already had like sixty fucking possession movies in like the last ten years alone. Not even let alone the last forty years. So it's just. Well, listen. I think the most important thing to remember is that Tyler Gillette does not know what's going to happen with this Halloween. I mean, with this Scream Five trailer. (laughs) At the end of the day, so you know the the marketing's going to fuck it up somehow. You just know. I know it. They should just play the opening scene because you know it's going to be something. You know, Mm -hmm. and they just cut before anything interesting happens. What if the whole movie takes place at Sydney's funeral and it's like a clue kind of knives out? Jen, my joke was. like the soundtrack gets released early and track one is Sydney is killed. Right, yeah, Sydney's death. Uh, <laughs> is that Sydney's what, dead. Is that with Phantom Menace? And they, like, yeah, Qui-Gon's Qui-Gon, funeral. Qui-Gon's funeral. Like funeral. Hey, yeah. But if they did that, then maybe they could bring her back as a ghost and there's her supernatural. That's there true. You go. Moment, she you can know? team up with her mom. <laughs> you can wear like the, yeah, oh. Or it's like the autopsy of, it's like the autopsy of Jane Doe. And ooh, like, ooh, you know. I've watched and that. Sy- and Sydney gets her revenge on everyone through like her own, you know, spiritual entity or something. Yeah, well, through becoming a witch. Yes, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> wow, this a twenty four, the witch. You know, yeah. there is, there is okay. one other piece of news though. Um, oh wait, I didn't know. I don't know about so, this. So it's kind of minor, not Steve Minor though. Oh, um, damn it! They, they're reissuing the movies on four K this fall. Oh, I saw um, that. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't really collect four K, but like the packaging looks great. It's like it's the original cover with just the the gray photo of uh, Drew Barrymore, the red lipstick. Like it's. Fucking gorgeous. original poster. It looks awesome, and they're. I don't know. I'm excited for it. Well, I, I think the cool that. thing is that I can just also just fire up my <laughs> HBO Max and watch the movie. So I don't need to yeah. spend 120 bucks on. I'm sure the special features are all on YouTube. You know, I mean? hey, physical media is making a big comeback. You know, yep. it sure is. Well, the better it looks, like I think that demons packaging looks amazing, but there's also a lot of new special features, and special features are hard to find. So, hey, I will say, by now you've probably heard our Manhunter, you know, uh, conversation. If it wasn't for that Shout Factory Blu-ray, I wouldn't have had most of those insights. Oh, well, that was 20 years ago when Blu-rays and Criterion Collection stuff were all the rage. You know what I mean? That was before streaming. Yeah. Actually, now it's like, well, you know. I know. Well, sometimes they they can surprise us sometimes. So, but. We'll see. We will see. But you know what else we'll check out? Let's head over to everybody's favorite place in the United States, a police station. (laughs) In a section (laughs) that we call Woodsboro Police Station. (laughs) Everybody listen up. Let me just say, uh, the killing of these, these teenagers has been tragic, but, uh, hey, you know, shit happens. In this section, we're going to be talking about the nightmarish history <laughs> behind the yeah. pre-production production and of Scream 3, and as well as talk about a little bit of the crew, especially a new member to this behind-the-scenes crew. So let's... I've got a bit of a rundown about what was going on, so feel free to interject with any other anecdotes you've got and any antidotes if somebody takes poison during these explanations as to what was going on. <laughs> uh, so, again, we talked about Kevin Williamson fever, <laughs> and it was really starting to peak, like Mike said, around 2000. He'd written a couple big movies and his first two screen movies. He did, I know what he did last summer. Mike, you mentioned The Faculty, Big Hand H2O, Dawson's Creek. I think at this point was in its... 
third season? Is that right? I want to say third, second, or third. 2000, end of its third season, maybe? Yeah, third season, I think probably. it was the third season because my yeah. roommate in college went to audition for Dawson's Creek and oh, didn't wow. get the part, but also never came back. So, what did they die? Oh my God. Yeah, no, I was she say. didn't die. She was just like her teachers got mad at her for auditioning, so she's like, "Well, screw." College. I like how her teachers got mad at her for following her dreams. What a well, it's it's a music school, so like everybody was follow, following their dreams in quotation marks. And they they like, should, yeah. she should have said it was for a musical episode of Dawson's Creek. She Maybe things have. would have gone over better. <laughs> did did um, she re, did she return to the school to teach her? T- uh, she her lesson. <laughs> yeah, she did like 10 years later and she was like, see, yeah. big mistake. Yeah. That's a, That's a whole other horror movie. movie. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> long story short, Kevin Williamson was a Billy, a busy, a Billy, a busy a Billy. fellow, a busy Billy. Billy fellow and a busy fellow. And Mike, you meant, you mentioned earlier, he was for all of his efforts. He was rewarded with the opportunity to revisit a dream he had before he even wrote scream. He had written a draft of a movie called killing Mrs. Tingle and years later, he was able to write and direct it. Now, of course, it was retitled. After production of Wrapped, it was promoted as Killing Mrs. Tingle, but then it came out as Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Does anybody here know why the title was changed? I know exactly. Alliteration. But... Well, first of all, the alliteration is pretty good, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, li- the alliteration actually is actually pretty strong. What if that was their excuse? <laughs> like, it just rolls off the tongue better. Not because it of. It does. But what, okay, what's the real reason? Does anybody know the real reason? Oh, yeah. Which Mike, happened in April of 1999. And Columbine had a lot to do with a lot of what was going on with pop culture. I remember I went to see Marilyn Manson that week here in Chicago at the Rosemont Horizon, and everybody was afraid something was going to happen. Mm. Like it was mm. within a week or two of the, uh, the, the, uh, the tragedy. It was bad. I mean, I remember yeah, we going to... to I feel, you know, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's strange to me that, you know, that was so long ago now. Mm-hmm. Where there is a good chance that there are people listening to this episode that weren't even alive yeah, when that happened. Totally. But yeah. it's a quite, I will say, we definitely dive into some heavy topics, and we will be diving into some heavy topics on this episode later on, trust me, with some of the subplots that are going on in the movie. I'll just tell people if you don't know what the Columbine Massacre is, look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. Um, just knowing that there was a, a very violent event that affected how violence was going to be portrayed in TV, music, and movies for the next couple of years. And real and life. Scream yeah, and 3 still, was no yeah, exception. We're, we're still yeah. dealing with the fallout. And we're that. still dealing uh-huh. with that. Yeah. Um, as to, you know, who do we blame for society's ills? And a lot of mm-hmm. people have just said, the movies. Yeah. Long story short, because he was very busy with teaching Mrs. Tingle and other things, he did not write Scream 3. And we'll talk about Aaron Kruger, who did, in a couple minutes. But details have emerged about what Williamson's Scream 3 would have been. So it still would have been circled around the movie production, but it would have been shot in Woodsboro, not in Hollywood, mm-hmm. originally. And the big twist was, and this, is, this kind of reminds me of 1986's April Fool's Day. It's, it's a twist yeah. on the twist from that movie, yeah. in which all these victims that we think we've seen killed off, it turns out that, and, and they're members of a stab fan club, and Sydney discovers that they're actually all still alive and, and are responsible for the true killings i guess interesting obviously yeah. totally different movie keep that I'm, in mind i'm so glad they went to hollywood in this one i think, I think it was yeah i don't choice. mind the hollywood you know and they kind of talk about that in one of randy's rules like you go you go bigger mm-hmm. and it makes sense to yeah. kind of change it you, you got woodsboro college hollywood you got school you know collegiate school the workforce i kind of i don't mind that that's not an issue i got with this movie at all 
Yeah, I feel like overall, I really like what I think this movie is trying to do. I just don't Mm -hmm. think it quite gets there. Like there's a clunkiness to the execution in just about every way that I think really hinders it. But like, I like what it is. Like it feels like a a continuance of the story in a way that I really like. And I think like the there's this quote from Don's Macabre where Stephen King um, talks about kind of the cycle of ideas. And he talks about like, there's the initial idea and then there's the refinement, which I think is scream too. And then it kind of, there's parody. And I think this kind of fits into that self parody thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have some thoughts on that because if you, if, because one of my favorite things to do is obviously is like kind of figure out where horror, the genre was at any given time when we're talking about the title Mm -hmm. and actually looking at like the placement of what's where scream three was, it's really intriguing to see that it was, Late to, it was at the tail end of what we saw as a slasher renaissance, and it was a little too early to what you're talking about with the parody thing. Because if you think back to 2000, you know, in the wake of Scream 2, so many slashers came out. You know, when we, in our last episode, we did Scream 2, we found out that, you know, there really weren't that many slashers in between Scream 1 and Scream 2, just because like, only a year ago. no time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, but since then, here's a rundown. So since then, you get so many f- slashers and scream old movies. Let's like, all give our quick opinions on them, yes or no. <laughs> yeah. When Mike lists them off. Okay. Cool. 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 So Halloween H two O. Yes. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. Ultimately, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll lean yes because what yeah. an all timer of an ending. I know. Uh, yes. Great ending. And Josh. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. <laughs> uh, hard out. Hard out. out. No way. Nah. Eh. Bad. Uh, urban legend. Yes, love, love, love. Uh, uh, I'm like a. I'm, it's 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 right down the middle for me. I guess same. <laughs> nah, yeah. It was made after 1995. No, thank you. True. <laughs> that, that goes for all pop culture. To be fair, like, <laughs> this still this still this next one still counts and probably has more to do with Scream Three, Bride of Chucky. Yeah, yes. yes, big yes, hundred yes. percent yes. I recuse um, myself. Oh. <laughs> Um, here's some other weird ones. So Gus Van Sant Psycho. Uh, no. Mm. No. <laughs> no. 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 Faculty, which is technically a slasher when you consider yes. it. It's fun. Death. Fun. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Again, I Josh Arnett. Sorry. Don't think I ever watched that one, honestly. Oh my Pretty god, fun. dude. We, you gotta watch that the music box with us, man. Um, it's gonna be fun. Um, and then these are technically slashers, although they're seem to be going into the supernatural route that I kind of wish that I think Vanderbilt and I probably wish that this was gone in Bull survivors. No, I wait. Oh, that movie. Oof. That came after that came after this candy, candy man, day of the dead. And oh, that's Wishmaster, like a straight to video thing. I never Wishmaster saw. Yeah. two. I have then, seen Wishmaster two. So then what's interesting to see is that like, you know, it's kind of a hit or miss hodgepodge, but what's really telling is that like beyond the teens and the slasher there's that there's this like meta self-awareness that's kind of weaved through the horror genre itself being like horror comedy so you see a lot of movies post scream 2 that kind of feel almost like a reaction to scream in terms of breaking the mold and other people trying to do that with other genres within horror like idle hands bats Mm -hmm. deep blue sea lake placid vampires i saw all these movies in theaters hey you you mentioned a steve minor classic lake placid that's true. That's true. And even House on a Hill, the Dark Castle movie, has like a tongue in cheek in it. So like, you get a sense that like, because even honestly, when you look at the whole plate of things, you know, the whole slate, the only horror that's really taking itself seriously are like the ones with ghosts, like Sixth Sense, Stir of Echoes. Well, and- Mike, that's what I want to hit on right there. Is I feel like Scream Three comes out a year after uh, Sixth Sense. Yes, and I feel like mm-hmm. you know, whereas a lot of movies were kind of emulating the first two Scream movies, movies start to emulate emulate. 
the sixth sense. Exactly. And this, and this, this comes at a very strange, it's like when Chris and Michael Myers comes out in 95, like six years after the Slasher craze is done. Oh, totally. You know, but, it's, it's like one of those weird things. But here's the other pitfall it has, and this is the last I'll say on it. What else also comes out in uh, 2000 that hits on even better than this? The in Matrix. Terms of par- parody. No, 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 no. no that was 99. Final Destination? No, no, no. Scary movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and see, that so could weird. be the argument for the parody of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I think what happens is, is that, like, you know, audiences growing into Scream 3 weren't really anticipating the whole lean into comedy, even though they should, given, like, mm-hmm. where everything was going. But I think the fact that it did lean into the comedy a little bit more eventually it just got so outshined by scary movie that went all in on the parody. So I think that like, I mean, arguably I think by the end of that year, more people remembered scary movie than scream three. We've really got to cover a scary movie one day. <laughs> yeah. On I think it could, I uh, we cover all. It's essentially all a remake of scream, which is wild yeah. because most of those parodies kind of did their own thing. It was just like a hodgepodge. Like you look at airplane, you look at blade sales it's a hodgepodge of all sorts of different things from the genre, but scary movie like is beat for beat scream. Mm-hmm. Except it's such a weird thing because it's a parody sillier. of a parody. It is. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, right. I know Scream's obviously darker, but it, it still is a commentary. But I think, mm-hmm. if, I, if I may, I think that one works if only because the Wayans brothers who are, are involved. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and that was, yes, they were still doing good things at that point too, especially. <laughs> yeah. um, also, but yeah, again, with all the Columbine mm-hmm. things that were happening as well, Miramax basically wanted to make this a bloodless venture and really ramp up the comedy, kind of a la what they did with Scary Movie, which would have been really strange if they just leaned into more comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. But God forbid, you know, not that the Weinsteins have ever been tone deaf, and as we'll discuss later on in this, in this production, this film. Uh, so <laughs> Wes Craven, though, did return to direct and was pretty adamant with, look, if you're going to make a Scream movie, you got to make a Scream movie, which was ultimately the right decision. You know. How was the execution? We'll talk about that. But Aaron Kruger was brought on to replace Kevin Williamson. Now, Aaron Kruger's had a pretty decent career when you look at it because he did the American Ring adaptation, huge success. Skeleton Key, which I think, Mike, I, I know like you that. like, right? Yeah, I think it's yeah. just mean, mean, mean. Oof. Yeah, I like a good mean movie every once in a while. But you know what? Yeah. A movie I actually thought was pretty good that came out before this was Arlington Road. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that is really good. Uh, pretty good twist, pretty dark, too. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty dark, unforgiving movie. Yeah. And so I wasn't that bummed out that he was being brought on, but for me, it was like, oh, God, Kevin Williamson is Scream in so many ways. And I do have a pretty good interview that, that Aaron Kruger gave to, D- to Dread Central, which will, I think, really encapsulate this entire section. So let me run through this real quick. So he, Aaron Kruger says that they were scheduled to start shooting Scream 3 in two months, and they didn't have a script, as in zero script. Now, while studios do this kind of thing all the time, setting a production start based upon availabilities before scripts are finished, the situation was unusual because no script had ever been started. So again, Kevin Williamson had treatments, but he didn't really have a whole script out. Um, the Kruger says the, the cast and crew had all been hired with essentially no idea of what movie they'd be making. So I wrote a treatment in two days, faxed oh, it to Wes Craven, and he basically approved it. I wrote the first draft in two weeks and worked with Wes up until production on revising it. There were some unusual parameters I've been given from the outset. And, you can, and this is me, Justin Gerber, talking. You can tell. Trust me. Uh, Kruger <laughs> says, for instance, the movie's star, Nev Campbell, was only available for a third of the shoot. No, show, no, no joke. 
<laughs> so I had to write around that. And that in the aftermath of the Columbine tragedy, the studio is very skittish about the blood and gore factor. So I had to write around that, emphasize more comedy. Uh, some people like the movie, others don't. But the making of it was a real obstacle course. And it's a minor miracle it turned out as well as it did. Okay, now when Kruger was asked to expand on how he felt the movie turned out, he said, uh, I think that in general, no matter how successful the sequel, it can never recapture the freshness and surprises of the original that spawned it. So making the sequel, the odds are always against you. I think this third scream, while imperfect, satisfying conclusion to the series. Of course, the first two were imperfect too, but the first one was ahead of the curve. Whether or not you liked the first one, it felt new and different. And no sequel could ever really recapture that. But when a story is as self-reflexive as the first one was, really the only way to advance it was to keep spiraling inward. So yes, the final product was very much the script. Everything is cyclical in the pop culture business. And thus, two decades from now, that series' tone and style will doubtlessly be back in vogue for a three-year window or so. Pretty good... Uh, yeah, description of the experience of that, and and I know Vanderbilt. I want to go to you because I think you like this probably, maybe even the most of all of us, maybe even more than Jen. So, what do you think about that comment about how he said the only way? And I think that you are probably a hundred percent on board with this. Don't only put words in your mouth. Yeah. But when he said that when the story is as self-reflexive as the first one was, really the only way to advance is to keep spiraling inward. What do you think about that statement? I agree with that too because one of the things that I was thinking about with this film is that. It requires a lot of suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. in terms of the trilogy, but it's so obnoxious and so over the top that you can't help but let it overtake you. Mm-hmm. Because everything in this everything in this film's kind of in the series is kind of obnoxious and over the top. Even the wardrobes. <laughs> well, I think, but I think it gets away with it even more in this movie because it takes place in vapid Hollywood. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, and if, if this was taking place core. in Woodsboro, I don't know if you could have gotten away with the overtop nature. No, I don't think so. Nobody's wearing that. You outfit. have to. Like, I think, uh, I, I think this is something that Scream 3 does well versus a lot of sequels where they just kind of deliver more of the same. Yeah. I think that's a big problem with Scream 2. I'm, I, 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 I like this one. I, like, I think Scream 3 is more effective than Scream 2. That is a hot take. Uh, <laughs> Such a Scream- hot take. That might be one of your hottest I can't, takes. I, can't, I cannot join you there on the south side. <laughs> hey, hey, look, Scream Two just kind of does it. It kind of goes by the numbers of what Scream laid down. Scream Three, at the very least, it it gets really weird and really wild. I think in terms of the Scream th- series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think it pays off more than it doesn't. And I think the conversation about Scream Three, I think, is more interesting for me than the conversation about the first two. Like the things that it gets wrong it gets wrong in a fascinating way, you know, and mm. there are a lot of things that I really love about Scream 3. And when I view it just through Sydney's story, I love it, you know, and I think it's a perfect conclusion to her story. I mean, I guess not considering Scream 4, but it's just a lot of the the details that I think it just kind of, it's clunky. It just feels clunky. I'll we'll talk about that, that for know. sure. Because like yeah. you said, I think the good segue, well, not segue, but something to keep in mind when you said, when you focus on Sid's story, it's, it's effective. Sydney doesn't really even enter into the action until about an hour into the movie. No. Right. Which is really yeah. strange upon rewatching. You're like, oh, really? She's just kind of dealing with her own thing and she's she's no idea what the actual action of the movie is and it's, that's even right. taking place. It's very strange structurally. But it but again, works like he said, with he only what had, I think they're saying, you know? Yeah. He only had X amount of days with her and they kind of had to rework that too, I guess. So Yeah. But, yeah, she was filming something else 
at the time. Probably Three to Tango, which I also saw in theaters. Oh. <laughs> I did too. And Drowning Mona. Um, that's it. That's the one that I've heard. And apparently that's why her hair looks so weird, because it was a Sydney wig. Wow. Oh. Well, that's not the last hair commentary we'll be having in this oh, episode. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So, yeah, a lot of reshoots were happening. Uh, in an interview with the Daily News, David Arquette said they were rewriting the whole time. We get pages on the day of shooting. It was just all over the place. It's interesting and it's funny, but it's a different tone from the rest, which I would agree with. Uh, like, for instance, a couple couple changes. I'm not sure if anybody has anything else, but they had to reshoot the opening because mm-hmm. originally the character is Cotton's girlfriend, Kimberly, played by uh, Steve, Kelly I Rutherford. Think. It's Kelly Rutherford. Christine, Christine. She was dead. Like, she was not even really involved mm. at all in the opening. He, I think he discovers her dead, as a matter of fact. And there's a whole big chase scene outside and inside the, uh, the house or apartment, wherever it is. And then they also had to reshoot the ending because they realized that Mark, the, the, the detective character, had basically disappeared for the last 45 <laughs> yeah. minutes of the movie. And they were like, uh-huh. oh, we should probably have Mark in there somewhere. Yeah. And also they thought that Sydney kind of won too easily the first go around, so they made her... Big fight with Roman at the end, a little bit more extensive, a little bit more challenging, I guess you could say. That's a pretty rough fight. Yeah. I'll say, Justin, you know, as we learned from the the, the bard, Huey Lewis. Mm. uh, Not Shakespeare. Lightning never strikes twice. In the case of Scream, I would argue it did twice. Three times, you're pushing your luck. Um, (laughs) Well, I I think think that speaking of the great bard, Huey Lewis, I think your attitude is more of uh, along the lines of, this is it. <laughs> I can't sing him. My, he hurts my throat. Like when I try to sing Huey oh. Lewis, I can't do it. But well, we'll be talking about Huey Lewis in the music section because, as we all know, Huey Lewis and the News <laughs> did do the soundtrack to Scream <laughs> Three, which is kind of oh. a strange. What if uh, they had done that? <laughs> oh man, uh, it's a Hollywood horror today. <laughs> uh, like I just, yeah, I don't know. At the end, it. when they're all drinking at the party, I want a new drug is playing in the background. Uh. Yeah. Like a neon bar that looks like something from cocktail. It's like, man, I can't believe we survived this outing. Also, could you believe it? And then he like he starts he he like he's like, hey everybody, oh, I hope you're having fun out there. And then he like twirls around and starts playing the song. It just has the credits <laughs> over it. Rodney Dangerfield Aww. pops out for no reason. You know, it would be great. And then but... Patrick Bateman just kills everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like I watch that. I American mean... Psycho too. Yeah, right. it's hey, a real 2000, killer, folks. Two thousand yeah. movie, American Psycho. Yeah, Mila Kunis was supposed to be in this, but she was too busy shooting American Psycho too. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a, that's I mean, a joke, folks. I don't know which one would have been better for her. You know? I, uh, who knows? I don't know. Okay, so here's a here's what I wanted to say though, and I'm sure people echo this or debate it even. I think Vanderbilt will debate this. I think this is one of those series when you think about Elm Street, written and directed by Wes Craven. Halloween, written and directed by John Carpenter. We know the whole story behind Friday Thirteenth. <laughs> who wrote and directed that? It's a nightmare. But I feel like this is a case, I love Wes Craven, but the screen movies to me seem like they are Kevin Williamson's mm-hmm. movies. I, and so the issue with Scream 3, I feel, is that while Williamson's tone is naturally immersed in pop culture, Kruger's is not. No. And I feel like he's trying to emulate Williamson. And so here, a lot of the pop culture references feel forced in oh, a way so that forced. as over the top as the first two movies can be, for sure. It just doesn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely affects the overall impact of the movie. You, you, know right? what it, you know what it reminds me of is when you, get, you meet see some people that just really don't know how the finesse to curse. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you'll hear him, you're like, eh. Rob's on me. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> but like, I feel like that's the way with the pop culture references here. Like, I mean, 
that Vertigo thing with Jenny McCarthy is so lame. Uh, like I, the detective that keeps spouting is like, oh, Hannibal Lecter, and uh, you know, and I've got those notes too, Mike. Just it's so it's so surface level. Even like this, the I love Carrie Fisher's cameo in here, but even that stuff kind of feels a little bit like too on the nose, like Kevin Smithy. So yeah, I agree. Kevin like, Smith. like it's it's not very sexy in terms of pop culture references like Williamson does where it's kind of little, it's weaved in a little bit more, but anyway, I'm sorry to break in Mike. I knew you were going to say, something. no, I was going to say, I do agree that it's not Wes Craven's trilogy because I've, uh, here we go. Wes Craven is not a very dynamic director. I agree. I, I, agree. I agree. I think he, I think he brings a transgressive quality sometimes to his films, particularly during his heyday last house and left. Obviously I love, a Nightmare on Elm Street, but if you look at Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, New Nightmare, everything's very flat. There's not a lot of visual style, which maybe these movies don't need. Not every movie needs to be, uh, you know, like look like a music video, but I just think uh, Wes Craven seems to fit more in that point and shoot kind of thing. So definitely in the terms of the Scream series, it is Kevin Williamson's thing, but I don't know. It feels like by the time Scream, after Scream 2, Williamson was kind of just spinning his wheels, and I don't think his Scream 3 would be, would have been any better than this one. Yeah, maybe the pop culture references may have flown a little bit better, but that's one part of mm-hmm. what the Scream series is about. And I think Scream 3, script for Scream 3, does at least tackle a lot of the themes of the series better than maybe the other sequels do. Yeah, I mean, I could agree with that. I, I, I was thinking about that with Craven 2 last night, Vanderbilt, because I was like... I was trying He's an to exploitation like, guy. He comes from exploitation, yeah. and it's just not a lot of style. It's a lot of point, shoot, get it done fast. I think like he's I, a highly effective workman-like director. I agree in that respect, too. I think his big, strong flex, if you look back at all his movies, is his ability to convey a magical cast like of characters. Mm-hmm. I think he gets and great I, performances yes. out of people. Well, yeah. and I feel like Even he, Heather Lankenkamp, despite what you guys might say. Hey, no, I thought she's great in New Nightmare, and I think she's great. Exactly, I agree 100% with that, yeah. Yeah. She gets older, she's more experienced as she gets on. You can definitely tell in those future she, movies that she's in. But to to the Craven point, I feel like there's a lot of quid pro quo going on here. Like, you mentioned Williamson finally being able to get t- teaching Mrs. Tingle, so he kind of dropped off, but they managed to get Craven to come back because of the music in the heart. Um, and that's the movie that he had one wanting to make, and there's even a line in this movie with Roman where he's like, well, I wanted to do a fucking drama, but they made me do this stupid horror movie. And you could tell, because, I mean, Kruger also talks about how, like, Craven was, like, really big on writing a lot of this. Yeah, he's not and credited, I, but he's, he definitely apparently did come up with a lot of scenarios and lines. Yeah. I would argue that's a line that Craven wrote, because mm-hmm. the thing that I would say is that, like, there is a strong sense of conviction in Scream and Scream 2 um, with with uh, with Craven's direction, I don't really see that as much here. I feel like there's a big scope. Obviously, he goes bigger, so he he does a good job in capturing the epicness of like going into Hollywood. But it feels clumsy in a way, especially even with the performances. Like I never, it, it's surprising to me to think that like for as magical as he gets with a lot of his characters, they don't really feel that way here. And even like the trio feels a little disparate. Like there's just something missing in that respect with him. And I well, feel like to bounce maybe off that Mike. I feel like this movie, at, you could argue this is the most active of all of the movies. They are. Oh, yeah. It's totally. the most action-packed. Yeah. It's a very... It I starts it's with a, very, a fucking helicopter. Yeah. I know. There's <laughs> like, a helicopter over the, ho- the Hollywood sign, for Christ's sake. As opposed to the first one just has a, a high schooler on the phone. Mm-hmm. In her house, you know? <laughs> right. But I will say that as active as it is, 
it's just not ultimately that engaging Mm-mm. for all the action that's going on. Like if like the back hour of the movie, I just kind of almost stopped taking notes because there's really nothing else to. Well, if it wasn't for Parker Posey, then yeah, yeah, that's she's well. She's definitely a place for me in this movie. Yeah, we'll talk about her for sure. A friend of mine, one of the elder statesmen of Daily Grindhouse, Paul Frittag Faye, he uh, he tweeted something a couple weeks ago. He was rewatching Scream 3, and it stuck with me. And I watched Scream 3 through this lens, and I think it works. He described it as, what if NBC had a made-for-TV Scream movie? Like it was the Sunday night movie Mm. event. Yeah. And like this, it was like the Amityville one. Four. It's about yeah. time. <laughs> Perfect. No, that's um, the Evil Escapes. Oh, excuse me, but that was a TV your, one, right? Yeah, it was a TV one with Patty Duke. That's right. Um, Pretty good. Yeah, really, I like that one. Uh, top five: uh, the garbage disposal. My argument is that it's the greatest <laughs> horror movie of all time, in which we see a demon transferring itself from a house through a lamp cord into the lamp oh, just wait wait well see, wait till you, you see a, it's about time where you see him uh, go through a clock all the way across in the arizona i think <laughs> i like the take though about this being like you can see the commercial breaks almost you can, like it's it, a yeah. sunday night event you know and yeah. with with uh west craven's kind of flat direction it really mm-hmm. lends him lends itself to yeah. that and well, even to that little, point like sorry go ahead no no, 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 no it, it works no. a little bit better and especially with all the kind of silly cameos that mm-hmm. happen yeah well, and so, like, Wes Craven is my favorite of the OG directors. I think I have maybe a couple of newer ones emerging as favorites. But I love him because I think of that point-and-shoot quality. Because I think, like, what I really connect with a lot of times in movies is the story. And I feel like Wes Craven, like, what he is really, really good at is shooting a movie in a way that really brings out the story. And adding a little flair that makes the story more than, like, the sum of its parts. But I feel like... He needs to have a solid base for that in order for yes. it to work. Because I look I at a movie like Shocker, which is bonkers and really fun, but like it's just bonkers, you know. And then <laughs> did he so write like Shocker? This- did he write Shocker? I don't know if he, he, wrote he had to because it feels like just kind of like a a it, remake it feels- of Nightmare on Elm Street. Right? Yeah, with like electricity mm-hmm. instead of like coffee. But yeah. I like his story. It like, was I written really by him. him. I think well, that's yeah. the best comp writer. is, and I don't want to sound like. Oh boy, this is gonna people take Uh-oh. this wrong. I, I think that Stephen King is a great storyteller. Like Jen, you're saying Wes Craven's a good storyteller. I think undoubtedly. Mm. I don't think that Stephen King is the master of dialogue. The word. <laughs> oh, absolutely agree you know I mean? with that. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like whenever we, in, in, in Losers Club episodes, whenever we really tend to talk about like our favorite prose from King, we rarely include dialogue exchange. Yep. I feel like most of the time it's about the description of the scene, the first person's memory of something it's Usually very the, rarely the, the a dialogue exchange i think yeah, that's the same thing like, we said and if you want to do the the what i like as a craven great storyteller there's not some amazing left to right mm-hmm. 10 minute single shot that you're no. ever going to reference and that's right he, he never tried to because he it that's wasn't not him. his strength it wasn't yeah. his strength i think that yeah listen i've got him at number like, 110 comes- on my all-time list by the way he's right ahead of jean-pierre jeanette and behind Alexander Payne. So there you go. You know, but when it comes to something like Scream 3, which is attempting that epic quality, you're expecting a little bit more something epic visually, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And it's maybe yeah. why it doesn't always work. Yeah, it's like there's this baked in quality to the first screen, one and two, which kind of what you're talking about are people that don't know how to cuss. And I feel like there's just not the ingredients there for him to do the baking in. And that's why mm-hmm. it just feels like everything is so like it stands out. Like the, the pop culture references feel like a thing they had to do because it was a scream movie, exactly. not a part the, like the way the characters would and talk. Here's you know? a question for you guys. What the Let's hell are say, you holding? 
What is that? <laughs> is that a recorder? Oh. Do you want me? Hold on. I got. I get it in my recorder. Oh no, he's got the slide whistle for Halloween Five in tribute ah. of Halloween Five. Oh my God, I love you. I, I could have used some more slide whistle in Scream Three. I will say. <laughs> the <laughs> every time when when Jay and Silent Bob show up, <laughs> it's like. Sydney, I'm your brother. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say Kevin Williamson returns, but Wes Craven doesn't for Scream 3. Does this movie work? That's a great question. Uh, Um, I think think the marriage between those two works for me. I think that Kevin Williamson gets Wes Craven. Wes Craven gets Kevin Williamson. I I don't like Kevin Williamson's idea for this, and I'll get into it why. Because during this... I already texted on the thread about this. And oh, Jen yeah, I'm and I curious about, about this, Mark. I think you've got info that I, I don't think I have. I have. Well, I just came up with, like, when I was going through the details and stuff, I was like, why didn't they do this? This mm. would make everything work so much better. And I'll talk about it in, uh, I think, the six, the sick fuck section. I'll talk cool, about cool. it. But, yeah. Well, let's take this time. There's some things here that don't really fit into future sections. So let's. I just want to talk about a couple things that I did like about this movie. They're pretty major plots. I do like the idea of having different voices for the phone calls. Where does everybody stand on that? It's a big suspension of disbelief, but there's so much in this movie that that's the least of my worries. Fine. I know. Yeah. You know what? I believe that they could make that uh, device at this point. Sure. Why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of liked it. It's a good it's a twist on the old, do you like scary movies thing? I thought and people aren't expecting it in the cast either. I like it. Let alone I the audience. I think they peak using it with the cotton weary scene. When oh, you don't yeah. think it works the rest of the time? I think it works, but I don't think it's as clever as it is when she's I behind will the say, door. though, I actually think it, I think looking back on Sarah's death, yeah. it's pretty great because we realize it's just Derek's voice and not a fake voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, I'm yeah. sorry, not Derek. Um, uh, Roman. 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 Yeah. Roman. Yeah, yeah, the rewatch factor of that was really interesting. That was, that was effective, I will say. Yeah. I thought that was good. I liked the idea, Vanderbilt, I think you agree with this too, of, of moving it to Hollywood, and I liked the idea of recreating Woodsboro on a soundstage. Oh, that's sharp. That was, oh, that was absolutely. Sick. And I love that Wes Craven loved that idea so much that he paid for it out of his own pocket. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. At least that's what I read, that he, uh, he said, we have to have this, this moment. And I think that's really cool. Like, I hate... I. No, I'm not going to do it because I promised myself I wouldn't use a word on this episode. I will uh, use it for you. We don't trust me. I'm going to use it for you right now in, in this next uh, take. So the killer uses one of the three versions of the stab three script, which is very meta. Ah, because obviously, <laughs> Scream. Two, there we go. <laughs> yes, because Scream two and three, they're also were circulating. Um, different scripts, so there was no spoilers. <laughs> oh, that was a great touch in this, this script. I thought, yeah, with the different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And they were so they were basically like like Kruger said, they were spiraling inward. And I can't believe we mentioned the fact that somebody named Kruger I wrote this movie. <laughs> right. We haven't mentioned that yet. Different spelling, but still. I mean, um, what if he well, changed also, his name for that? <laughs> well, he's also a son of Amanda Kruger, so. Um. <laughs> Jesus, oh, brother to Freddie. Uh, okay, all right, that's kind Next, of a sick joke, actually. When I think the about it. I, I'm sorry. Oh, apology accepted for the fictional character of Amanda Kruger. She will yeah. apologize in fiction heaven. Yeah, um, she'll, she'll appear to me in a behind a tree later this afternoon. She was Amanda Kruger. Um, here's what I don't like, and what takes me out of the movie every time. The Sydney dream sequences yes. with the mother. And what's insane is that you could argue like one of the greatest horror movies of all time that has 100% to do with dreams is A Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. directed mm-hmm. by Wes Craven. But here, like, I, can't, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Like, the opening scene where she's wandering in, like the fog is creeping over the hill, and 
Ugh, it's not, I don't know. Maybe, am I alone or am I, do I have everybody else with me? It's so obnoxious. I think all the best things in Scream 3 are the most obnoxious things. And (laughs) I'm going to chalk that up to it. I I like it. And I had, actually, I had forgotten all about that. I don't think I'd seen Scream 3 (laughs) in 20 years. I don't, I don't uh, think I'd ever said that. I had either until a couple months ago. I did not go back to this. Maybe putting it on at the bar in the background, but I hadn't sat down and watched this movie in a long time, and I, that kind of came out of nowhere for me, and I liked it. What's that movie that you saw, Justin, where you're watching it with a friend, and you're like, no, 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 don't. <laughs> I can't remember what you're talking It was like a movie that you, you had a visceral reaction in theaters when they did a scene, and you're like, no, no. No, how can you be? How can you do that? I don't I, remember. It was with it, your, I think it was with your friend Walter. Um, oh no, that was a joke though. It was we were watching Bruce Almighty, and there was a, it was a sold out balcony. It was a giant movie theater in Orlando, Florida, sold out opening night. And Bruce looks at his co-anchor to suggest that he's going to have an affair with her, and the movie theater's dead quiet. My friend Walter leaned forward and screamed, "No!" Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it and is. Okay, I. I remember pressing myself against my seat, suppressing laughter for like 10 minutes because <laughs> it, it was so scary when he screamed it out, out of nowhere. It, like he was really overselling it anyway. Uh, well, anyway. That's, that's literally what I did when I mm. saw that in theaters in 2000 because I couldn't believe they were going to go there. And the thing is, is if you're going to go there, I think this kind of goes into what Vanderbilt was saying with Craven's direction is like at least make it look cool. Like yeah. it just yeah. looks so lame. It looks like something from like a Goosebumps show. Like, well, you gotta no, make it like, surreal. You can't shoot it like you're shooting a, an actual real life scene. No, and, and it feels like it's just shooting somebody walking up. At least have some. Even I usually hate like skittered images, but mm-hmm. have like a like a, mm-hmm. a Dutch angle. Yeah, or have an extreme <laughs> close up, or have some type of a weird visual to it. It just looked like I was watching somebody walking up on a set of a movie in mm-hmm. a way that I yeah. hadn't really felt like that before in the other screen movies. Yeah. 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 I have a love hate relationship with Sydney's mom in this movie because, mm. the, and, and along with the voice changer and all of the kind of innovative things I think they did, because I think it works really, really, really well with what I see as Sydney's story in this movie. Like I love mm. kind of the depiction of like her wrestling with the history of her mother and like being afraid of turning out like her. Like I have issues with that whole storyline in general, but I love yeah, it. It's like a depiction of trauma exactly yeah yeah. and i like the the voice adapter too because i think like part of scream 2 is like sydney not knowing who to trust Mm -hmm. and that's been kind of a baked in element and i think that just kind of escalates it and turns it inward and i really like that i just don't think it is the ghost it looks terrible and it's not enough of the movie to make it like it's not substantial enough to make the point i think it wants to make also Mm -hmm. i think the point it is trying to make is slightly to the left of the point i want it to make and i also think if you're going to do that storyline wouldn't you do that in scream 2 like it feels kind of strange to all of a sudden do that two movies later. Like I don't know, or, or even and to not have scream, it mentioned in Scream Two. Yes, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It agree. doesn't feel it's like it's building weird. to it. No. Yeah. Um, okay, I do have a question for all three of you. So when when Ghostface reveals himself to Sarah on the phone and says that the new movie he's, he's making is called Sarah Gets Skewered Like a Fucking Pig, that title probably gets retooled, right? Oh, that sounds like oh, yeah. a uh, that sounds like a Giallo title. <laughs> but they would probably have or to retool. Or a Fallout like, Boy song. I can't how far, tell. How far into production is Ghostface getting with Sarah gets skewered like a fucking pig before it gets retitled? That's the question. <laughs> no, I mean, in, in, obviously in 1999-2000, it just wasn't going to fly. 
No, well, you could, I mean, as we've discussed. Look at no. what happened with Freddie got fingered like a fucking pig. That that's true. The they, they did cut it down. And they to cut the, it. The, to the elegant fingered. title Freddie got fingered instead. I know, and it's that's you true. know now a beloved classic. So, well, we got to talk about this because for all the flaws of Scream Three, when somebody mentions Scream Three to me, the first thing I think of is the final shot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of Sydney looking mm-hmm. at the and that is that is, that is actually a very good direction because Sydney looking at the door walks away and it cuts before she leaves the smashed, screen and a smash to black not smash a fade. I'm a big um, fan of the smash to black. You know, very very effective in a way that I think of Halloween H2O for all of its flaws kind of works ultimately because of that final that shot of her chopping his head off. I believe I mean, it cuts to this is the end by the rock band Creed. Well, that's an issue. By that, I don't choose to think about that part. I choose to think yeah. about the part right before the music kicks in. Just <laughs> to be ready black. with that mute button, you know. So, yeah, everybody else, what do you think about the, the last... I know, Jen, I think you like that last scene a lot, too. Oh, last I love moment. it. Yeah, on Psychoanalysis, we did a whole series about Sydney's story in mm-hmm. the Scream 3 movies, and this is one of the big things we talked about because it's like when you look at just her story through these movies, like it is recovery from trauma, which it could, I mean, arguably the trauma of finding her mother murdered before the series even starts. And I think like I love how this movie shows that and shows like her being isolated and her like and using her like what she's been through on a call line. Like think about like in 2000, somebody hearing a girl call up and saying, my boyfriend is abusing me. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not something that we were hearing. Like there's a lot Mm. of power in that. And I think that the way this story ends, because like right before that, she asks, what kind of movie is it? And McDreamy says, well, you have to come find out. And it's just like her finding the way to engage with life. Because as this movie starts, she's like, she's isolated. And then she realizes like through some questionable scenes with her mother and then some other stuff that like, you can't hide from your trauma. You really have to kind of face it and overcome Mm -hmm. it. And I think that's what we see. And I think you can even see that in, I have a lot of thoughts about Sydney and like her relationship with others, but like the way she's dressed, like she's dressed more free and yep. like less covered up too, yeah. you know? And it's mm. just like this, like she feels like she's getting back to herself, you know? And yeah. just the, the, it makes me cry seeing that door open. It's just, it redeems a lot of what I find wrong with this movie. Well, I never thought about that take Jen, when you said, you know, you have to see what you have to, you have to find out what the movie is because, you know, the important thing to learn from all that is, you can't be afraid of the unexpected. You can't. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to ever know everything. You have to kind of just step out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the fact that it easily could have had the door open. One of them come out and goes, Sydney, is everything okay? And she could have said, everything's fine. I feel oh, like there's Lord. a 99% uh-huh. of time that's what would have happened. But I love the fact that, that it says all it needs to say mm-hmm. just shows it. It's a, Hemingway. It's, a, it's a Hemingway shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it implies everything it needs to imply. The only thing I'd say is take out the scene where she's opening her gate in the front. It's like, all right, you're kind of doubling <laughs> down. Like, choose one or the other. Like, you don't, or like, go for the one that you have. You know, because, yeah. uh, you know, first she off. She should close that door, though. There's probably, like, snakes and stuff. I was thinking the same yeah, thing, I'm too. Yeah, nervous. Like, <laughs> you're in I, I like what it's trying to say, but I'm also like, hey, you really uh, should close that door, though. There's, 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 le- there's vermin out there. There is. She's like, what, in the hills of California? There's no way that she's not going to get some something in there, you know? Yeah. It would be funny if, like, the movie's over with, the door had been open the entire time, and then Mark's like, you left the door open the whole time? That's the end of And it's like, I can't, yeah. I can't be with somebody like that. Like John Goodman, open. like, tromps in and is like, we got a problem on our hands. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> Arachnophobia crossover would be amazing. Listen, I got some bad news for everybody here, though, because this, this movie was released to bad reviews. And here's something oh. incredible. The budget for this movie was $40 million dollars. 
which is more than the budget of the first two movies combined. Wow. How much but of that it, was the helicopter and the explosion? That was $20 million right there. <laughs> yeah. But the movie only made $89 million domestic, which is $12 million less than its predecessor. It's so, it's so strange because yeah. it's like the movie was still a blockbuster. And it's weird to think that like we didn't get a four until like what? 11 years later because of what that return or because they thought it was over. Like, yeah, I'm it, hoping it's, it's cause they thought that it was over. I mean, cause that's I another thing about that ending is that it is kind of undercut by four, by four, but thankfully four gave us the completely original character of Kirby. Who <laughs> oh God, here we go. Horror movies. Oh. I'm just saying, I'm just saying thank you I, for four. That's all I'm saying. I, I've, I've got some positive takes on four that, I'm looking forward to the episode. Actually, I, I got I, I got I got some negative takes, and I won't be on that episode. Unfortunately, we'll, we'll, we'll get so your I'll, your, I'll refer, your I'll, journal I'll, entries. Yeah, <laughs> I'll reserve I'll reserve them I'll reserve them for the ranking episode, and we do that inevitably. But well, Mike, you said it was a blockbuster, but when you think about it, the like the second one made four times its budget, over four times its budget, and this made just over two times its budget back. So, like, I'm sure the wine scenes were thrilled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is another part of the meta quality is like that. The more we keep going, the more we're going to lose, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, they, they were moving on to, you know, Beautiful Mind and whatnot. They were, they were, they were moving on. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our next section here, in which we're going to discuss the rules that, oh, God, that Randy gives in Stream 3. Mm, we didn't talk about what we didn't like about that, but we will in a minute. And it's a section called, What Are the Rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? Okay, so this is probably the worst scene of the movie. No. No, I'm with Mike on this one. I, I love it. I legitimately hate it. I love this. Wow. I uh, hate it. I hate, no, wait, first wait, wait, wait. of all, Heather Matarazzo. I don't like that. As Martha Meeks. It's is so bad. I don't like that. No, disagree. We miss you in Woodsboro, guys. You be careful too, Sid. Oh, I, mean, no, that is I don't know what's happening. I can't believe this atrocious. made the movie. It, that, it's brutal. And, and the way that they seg out of that is even more clumsy. Like, because it's like they have this like dramatic moment. You know, you get the Beltrami score when she leaves. And then it's like, oh, well. Well, anyway, what are we doing today? You kind like, of expect it's her so... to get killed. And then it never. I know. <laughs> Jen, you didn't speak up. up in defense of the scene. Are you with me on the scene? Or should I let Mike, the mics defend it? Mm, I yeah I think it feels very perfunctory you know and like this is what we have to do because we've got to have the clip of Randy you know but what I do like about it is I feel like it gives us a chance to mourn Randy you know Uh which is I think a thing that this movie could or this franchise in general could lean into more you know because I mean I I I do love Randy and it's like it pulls my heartstrings a little bit to see him pop up but yeah I agree I don't feel like like I was trying to do notes for this and I was like what are these rules like and the way these rules play out I, I don't like so yeah yeah i'm i'm meh on it i forget that it's part of the movie often you know mm-hmm. um so mike rothman what what is it about this that actually works for you well, i want to hear vanderbilt first just because yeah, like, okay, I, I, i'm a whole randy stan so like i'll well, I look, gush, I, no but. i love randy don't get me wrong that, that yeah. i yeah. couldn't believe he Here's, died in the second movie but i just felt like this was so uh, go ahead, go ahead here's, here's why it works because this whole this whole film is doesn't work unless you can accept that Roman set everything of 
that happen in these movies up. Oh well, don't worry. I don't think that, that works all at happen. All. You know, I don't think that works but, at all. But you know, it, it's there. Doesn't, it happened. It that's it. So if you could believe that, or you can believe that you can change the voices on on uh, the, the little device, you can believe that Randy would have made this tape. And a big part of what this movie makes this movie different than a lot of slashers and a lot of horror movies of the area is that it follows the heroes. So a big mm-hmm. part of all these movies, which we talked about with Scream Two, is those reunion scenes. And mm-hmm. you have to have it. And it's, you know, the big suspension of disbelief that. But is it really with a character as goofy as Randy? I don't think so. That, yeah, he, would, I would... that he would make this tape. And as far as the rules of trilogies go, I think these rules for trilogy, at least this movie uh, addresses the rules for trilogies, I think, in its actions. Whereas I think Scream 2 doesn't really drive home the point about sequels as well as it should have. I agree I, with that. I think Scream 2 is more of just kind of a, you know, boilerplate almost, not shot for shot, but it definitely follows the formula of the first one, but never really explores the rules of sequels other than just them talking about it in the classroom. I don't, I don't mind any of that. I mind the way that the scene develops or the scenario comes about i just don't oh. like the fact that his sister drove to hollywood i don't either and it was like it's in so the trailer stupid. and it was like hey i've got this tape from randy it's bad that it, felt dumb it, it would have been better honestly how honestly, else would you have gotten there that's what i want it would have been better if it was like if dewey had it if they laughed dewey's like you know mm-hmm. what I, I laughed about this but randy said to never play this tape unless x happens i would have bought that more yeah oh, then totally. here's randy's sister showing up out of nowhere I thought that was her RV for a long time. <laughs> I was like, why is she in a Have trailer? a seat. Right. I, 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 I hope she comes I, back for five. Uh, I would love it. I would love She's it. She's the first victim, maybe. I would say that it's the same reason what Jen said, with just that you do get a sense, to, a chance to mourn Randy. You could see it in Sid's eyes. Like, she literally is teary-eyed in that scene. I know for me, I was really elated just because I still was really bruised by like Randy's death. Like it's still like it's one of the deaths. Like and I wrote about it on Consequence. It was it was that and JFK. I think were the two deaths and the two really deaths. Affected you. Well, it was actually it was really it was the, the month of December of ninety seven was hard for me because it was Randy and uh, Leo and uh, Titanic. So I was just mm. like, oh lord. But so you really thought he was going to survive that, huh? No, I didn't think he was going to survive. <laughs> the big of course, door. but I just was like, Jesus Christ, you're taking away the, all these things. But um, for me, it was it's it, seeing this that, that it's that reunion also that Vanderbilt's talking about, and I do buy the reunion because I do buy that Randy would do something like this, and I and I, I will say his performance after I think he did like three hours worth of fucking footage for this, but like yeah, I heard about that ridiculous, but he nails it. Like the 15 minutes, like I love that. Like I was, I remember, like I still crack, I crack up at it. Like it's funny, and he's like. Mm-hmm. And the way that he delivers the, you know, like the Tarantino thing, like it's all classic Randy. It's just enough where I, I'm like, okay, cool. And had this been the final movie, it would have been a really nice like closure, like, you know, a sort of bookend in the same way that the final shot is. So like, I like it in that respect, but I agree that having the sister deliver it was the stupidest idea ever. Like it literally could have just been something that, you know, that, that, yeah, do we had. Don't you, know? you think? And here, yeah. about this? Here's what would have made the scene better for me, and I, and I mean this: if if it had been Mickey knocking on the door from Stream Two, <laughs> and Randy's telling him 15 minutes, Mickey, 15 minutes, little did he know oh, that Mickey's the killer. Man, did we, that would have been creepy as hell. That would have been really effective. Yeah. Did we decide that Mickey? Did Mickey kill Randy, or was it? No, uh, it's, it, I think it's it was Loomis. the mom. The mom. Yeah, she was getting, she was really mad because that, at that point he was oh, that's insulting right. Billy. Right? That's right. Yeah. 
I mean, um, a chance to see Timothy Oliphant again, I would not say no to. Well, the honk, he still looks yeah. great. Looks better, looks better now he, than I will ever look. He got better. Ever. He got better looking. <laughs> than most as he of got us will ever look. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, well, here's he, an idea. Uh, here's an idea. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Dream five. You have the, all of the <laughs> cast members. They're on. Uh, they're on the set. It's rainy, and it, like they're like, "What do we do? What do we do?" All of a sudden, the guy from like SCC TV comes out. I can't remember his name. He's really Freaks and Geeks. He comes out. He's like, "Oh, Joe Flaherty." Flaherty. Are, yeah, Joe Flaherty <laughs> comes out. He's like, "Are you Sidney <laughs> Prescott?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've got something for you. And then it pulls out and it's like oh, the tape. Oh. <laughs> Speak of Huey Lewis. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Max well, future like, reference. Apparently he filmed like 90 of these, like for every mm-hmm. possible installment too. like, well, if you, if I don't make it and there's a scream five, here's the rules about five. You, I will say you know? it'd be very funny <laughs> if there is, if there are rules for stream five, but they only have a VHS tape and they've got to go look for a VHS player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be a funny bit. I and like that. it's just like a giant box of like all these VHSs. He's like, if I don't make it back from the cafeteria this time, here's what I saw about the burritos. You know, <laughs> nice. Yeah, but, like um, that's what he's doing with his time, which I could totally see him doing. Well, let's talk now about the rules that Randy puts forth. So the first rule he says is that in, usually in the trilogy, the third entry, the killer is superhuman. I think they kind of deliver on that because as we learn, Roman is wearing a bulletproof vest, so he, he gets <gasps> shot several times. Are he gets shot by Dewey. He gets shot. <laughs> are you fucking with me? Or do you what? really believe that? No, he's not really super. They give I know, the but are you, sar- are you being sarcastic? I don't know. Are you no, fucking I'm being with serious. Me? Okay, all right. Well, They're sure. saying that because superhuman, obviously, that you right. could take in bullets and being shot and everything else because yeah, they, they don't, don't reveal that he's got the bulletproof yeah, vest. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. I agree with that. Right, it's a str- it's a, it's, it's it a, would have been better yeah. if he was actually supernatural, though. I agree. Yeah, I agree. The bulletproof vest is one of my biggest issues with this. We saw the supernatural like the stuff with the mother, and that didn't. I, I don't know how it would have been pulled off here. I'll say that. Wait, wait, Jen. You said that the super, the uh, bulletproof vest was an issue. Yeah, I just think it's dumb. Like that doesn't like wearing a bulletproof vest and covering like what fifteen percent of your body does not make you superhuman. I was expecting more of. Well, then, but then the, the twist on that obviously is at the end when Sydney does say, uh, "Shoot him in the head." Right, <laughs> I do like that head. moment, yeah. and I like that she wears a vest too. That's true. You know? That's true. So, okay, yeah. so the rule number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. And they play on that, so Does too. Cotton count? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think they kind of, they don't, they don't do this well enough. No, Because nobody yeah. from the main cast, not that you, I wanted to see it at this point, but nobody from that main original cast dies. Yes, I, I, it's strange. That, again, and I feel like they've does. kind of missed the window to do that well, mm-hmm. too. You, know? you have to kill Dewey in that second movie. Was, I just don't know yeah. why they don't kill him in that second movie. That scene would have been so much more because of memorable. Love. I know, but that's the thing. But it hurts that much more if if the character you like dies. You know, well, what I mean? it also hurts. Well, it also hurts that much more when they the, the, you know, the reason for why he's brought back to life is used for Gale's arc, and then they dismiss that in this one. So, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. But oh. the, anyone can die. The fact that they actually shoot Sydney twice. Like I remember in theaters being like, man, what did they really do? Go I for it. Remember, yeah. I sat there and said, wow, they actually fucking did it. I know. I said that a couple times, and I was like, wow, they killed Dewey, too? And like, everything's like, no, no, he's just going to be just a He's A-OK. It's like Duke at the end of G.I. Joe, the movie, you know? He was just <laughs> At least coma. that was rewritten, because he was supposed to die. Yeah. But whole other story. Okay. Well, this is actually... Was that our first G.I. Joe, the movie reference, in terms of, like, uh, the Transformers, the movie references that we've done on Halloweenies? Well, if, if I have anything to do with it, it will not be the last. Is that a Dino? <laughs> is that a Dino release? I don't know. Yeah, that wasn't no. Dino. Oh, bummer. No, you Dino. didn't get that one. I think that was Spielberg. 
Number three, and this is this this holds up, I think. Obviously, the past oh, will come totally. back to bite you. And Roman obviously is uh, from now. Do you think these past. rules work in terms of other trilogies? That's the yeah. real question. Yeah, I think so because I think that works in. I mean, really, what's the, what's the best, the biggest trilogy of all time? Is Star Wars, Star right? Wars. So that's what we're talking about here. And I think yeah, Darth Vader's. I think those yeah, all fit then, for Star Wars. An Army of Darkness. When you think about it, the past. <laughs> the literal past. He goes to the past, yeah. and the demons do bite. So there you go. And you can, and you can the make future. the argument. Well, Back you can to the future, also, the past. You, That's right. It's a train. And you can make the argument that like the only thing that Return of the Jedi fails on is that anyone can die because like it's superhuman. Like Palpatine's pretty superhuman. <laughs> like like you yeah. don't really ever see that in the the movies. Well, I'm, you oh, know, man, really, the dead speak. We all oh know. Lord. Okay. I'm, I'm happy he lived. He survived. Right. To, to, to Randy, day. Randy is the dead that speak. That's true. Yeah. What well, if the Emperor came back and rise of Skywalker on like just holograms, like he had recorded <laughs> stuff for his followers to do? I would Some, actually somehow, be fine. somehow Randy Meeks has returned. Like somehow Meeks is so, he's like with, with the fucking... somehow Meeks has returned. <laughs> okay, so I think uh, like Vanderbilt, you made a good point. I do think that they kind of follow the rules in this movie. They kind of I do think deliver better on than those. they do with two. I agree. And so we gotta move on. Next section. That we affectionately call, I think I love you. Hey, I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that I'm not sure of. I love there is no cure for. I think I love you. Isn't that what life is made of? All right, so we're going to talk about, let's talk about the score first. This will take, I'll say 15 seconds. Uh, Marco Beltrami's back. He returned to do the score. And don't worry. Because although the, and obviously I was on the, the, the part two for me, I guess, was my uh, not liking this score was that version of me not liking the Randy Meeks scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. the broken arrow music that is used for Dewey in Scream 2. Unfortunately, that does not return for Scream I was so 3. Mad. But I kept waiting but, for it. But there is Weird. a piece from Broken Arrow in this movie. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's called... I, I was listening for it, and it's called Sid Wears a Dress. Yeah. What the now, fuck? Is that, is is that the, the scene end? at the end? Is that the music that's played when she's coming up the hill? that's the only time she would. And it's yeah. kind of talking about what I was saying about how she's, mm, oh, I love that. I think that is the broken air music that is recycled once again. <laughs> but at least it's not as garbage-like as the one. Oh, you're <laughs> garbage. Get out of here. Two. It's great. I <laughs> love that bone. I, I, love that. I know. Oh, God. I know. I'm having one flashbacks. One of the one uh, part <laughs> of this. everybody. The one piece <laughs> of his score that actually stood out for me, though, was the bit that they played when they all have the reunion in a police station. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the name of that one, uh, that piece is, but uh, that was I thought I, that maybe that's what it was, but Sid is, Sid is not wearing a dress in that scene, so. Yeah, that's people. What, not, what is, arrows. that is so strange that they would use another track, because like, Baltrami has nothing to do with it. They may have that, been that was, that was Hans I mean, Zimmer. The go- spiraling in, The right? golden age of trolling right there. But dude, it's not it even in the, what's even more remarkable is that, all right, so this is Dimension Films. Broken Arrow is a 20th century <laughs> Fox movie. Like, how is this making any sense? Like, I Look, just don't get it. You just got to suspend like, his belief for Scream 3. Yeah. And, that's some, and I like the score for the, the, the Hans Zimmer theme. I think it's great. It has some pa- it shows some pathos. The relationship. Well, we talked about it in the last episode. But Well, listen, if you, if you watch Fear Street 1666, the track Main from Broken Arrow is used by Michael Poltron. You're Poltrana. lying. 
I am lying my ass off. Okay, but that was pretty funny. Broken Arrow found its way into the flashback movie of Fear Street in <laughs> I the love 1666. That bit of score. I, and I think it works great for Dewey. But anyway. Doom, doom, doom. No, get out of here. I think we need to talk about it. Al, this is, my, this, is the, this is the mountain I will be dying on. If it's not in that. Five Cream, revolt. Right. It, no, I actually do want it to be in Five Cream because it'll be a, a triumphant return yeah. after 25 years. It's and I'll been lean 25 over. years since Stream oh, 2 gosh. next year. That's insane. I think we're um, missing the point, though, because we really need to talk about the soundtrack. Produced, you are absolutely correct. Now, this soundtrack, by much like the first, well, it, much oh. like the first two, it's very indicative of the era. Absolutely. I will say that it, it it's not doesn't seem like it's a dated thing when we heard it, or it's from some other generation. No, and it was emblematic of the era. A hundred percent. Justin, looking ahead to part four, part four does the same thing. Uh, yeah, they do a good job of of doing. I wonder what the fifth. It's I, weird because now there really aren't. No soundtracks that are pushed. So I wonder how they're going to handle. There's musical Scream artists 5. out there, but I don't know who they would put on a Five Cream soundtrack. Guarantee, guarantee, it's a disappointment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the weekend. Or not, no, I mean, no, I, I, I would like be the weekend. Uh, like, I don't even. They, no, I didn't. They, they won't spend the money. They won't put anybody no. on it. That, exactly. Yeah. That's what I right. think it's going to be, Mike. I, I be like, hey, check out your playlists. It. You know, which <laughs> okay. to be, which will be a total dismissal and a problem because i feel like scream is so i think the soundtrack is so essential to oh these are rock and roll movies i mm-hmm. firmly believe that well mike vanderbilt you've been tasked once again <laughs> to God break damn. down and it's always great music too that you're tasked with <laughs> yeah, look look this is i know i know you're gonna have some more incredible takes like you've had earlier on trust me <laughs> I, i've been on the text threads i've been perusing through some text threads but let's break down as much as we can without going into the three-hour section of this, of this podcast. <laughs> Good God. Let's go. Let's start at the very top. What's the song that Ghostface blasts during Christine's stalking well, scene at the pre-credit sequence? Well, first off, we got to talk about it. It's a gigantic soundtrack. Like, there are a there lot is. of fucking songs on this thing. Produced so by good. Creed. Creed was charged with production of this album for Wind Up Mark Records. Mark Tremonti got Stapp. Oh, that's all the, I the other two guys. Mike probably guys. knows because Mike likes Creed. All right. There, we'll I said, talk about that in a second. I so, like my own prison. That was it. <laughs> so it was produced for Creed for Wind Up Records. A lot of these artists were on Wind Up Records. Uh, Wind Up Records was an indie label based in New York City, distributed by EMG. Their best-selling artist was Evanescence. I want to just run down a list of the, uh, some of the other soundtracks that I think are very indicative of this era that they produced. Mm, okay. uh, the Punisher, the album. Fantastic Four, the album. These are all called the album, too. Fantastic Four, the album. Electra, the album. Daredevil, the album. Some of the best Marvel movies. Uh, John, John Tucker Must Die and Walk the Line. All right. I love Walk the Line. <laughs> no, it scored a 2.5 out of 5 on the, from the music guide, all music. And I, I feel the need to mention this because it's my friend Steve Huey from the Beyond Yacht Rock po- po- podcast that did a review and said that the high pedigree of the album contributors has produced a pretty listenable album. And I think that's a little bit of a stretch. But Well, if you meant high pedigree, yeah. if you meant high pedigree, like pedigree dog food, I would agree with that. So I don't know. I can't remember. What, what is is the first one? What if by Creed is the first song? Yeah. Is. All right. Yeah. I do like that song. I was like, here are the here's the here are the two Creed the songs I like. Creed let me get let me get this out of the way. I think one is actually pretty good. Good Great song twist ending at the end of that song. Uh, what's the song? What's this life for from H two O? That's pretty good. I like that song. Higher and prison. that's a rap. That's where I that's where I step off and go into the twenty first century. My own prison is a pretty good song. 
Higher's fine because here's the thing about Creed. I and mean, what you know what you realize when you go through this whole album track by track, as I did, is that of the bands of this era, Creed is arguably the most listenable because all they were trying to do was ape classic rock and Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they yeah. understand melody, they understand hooks. Like they're still trying to be a big rock band, but they're so kind of mired in that sludgy sound that was just of the area. I was telling Mike last night, I remember when uh, My Own Prison was re-released. It's okay. The band was signed to Wine Up in 97. My Own Prison was remixed with a more radio-friendly sound by the label that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when it hit Camelot Music and all the guys who I worked with were so jazzed because it was the second coming of Pearl Jam. And I never really dug Pearl Jam, so I wasn't that into them. I never thought it was the second coming of Pearl Jam. I never, I never thought that. Like that Ever. was just the kind Ever. of the. You understand? The, oh yeah, I, that, but that was the, <laughs> but that was the narrative. And now in 1998, they were featured on the Faculty soundtrack. Yep, covering another. Uh, I'm 18. Yeah, another uh, Scream connection mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a music video for this that featured David Arquette and Ghostface. And uh, mm. like I said, I think I, in high, I'm not I'm not calling for the Creedence. Or anything. Yeah. yeah but I do feel like of the bands of this era, 20 years on, they were certainly the least offensive. I will say in terms of the soundtrack, I would say you might be onto something. <laughs> well, nah, yeah. there's a couple bands I think are a little bit better. Okay, let's, let's go through. Let's it's, go. it's strange to think, though, with Dimension Films and Creed, like, did Dimension Films put Creed on the stage? Because, like, Creed was really not as recognizable when... I mean, when they were in H- Halloween H2O, like they were, you know, getting big, but they weren't as big yet. And no, like, Higher I feel was their big breakthrough. It was right? their big and breakthrough. And that that's yeah. not until 1999. Mm-hmm. And that's when yeah. it was a wrap for me. It was for me too, because that's when I realized, because I was the I went I was a Jewish kid that finally met all my friend, uh, Jewish friends when I went to uh, pretty much a Jewish summer camp in New York, and everyone was listening to modern music, and I was at that time listening to a lot of classic rock, except for Creed, because I had got it from the Halloween H2O soundtrack the year before. And I remember a friend going, I'm like, oh, that Christian rock band, they fucking suck. And I was like, Whoa, what? A little aggressive, aggressive. I know, it was aggressive. It was aggressive. And I go, what? And then I listened to it after that. I was like, oh, I guess so. And then Creed, the human clay came out, and I was like, okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. Right, right. I was like, I get it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just had to add that no, in there because I, yeah. Creed, Creed was, I mean, Creed was the band of the moment. It, how embarrassing. It's because I feel like Creed has this really distinctive sound that Mm -hmm. I really like in kind of the way that Smashing Pumpkins has this distortion that just sounds just like Smashing Pumpkins. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. love it. But Creed doesn't ever do anything different with that sound. That's why everybody likes one one or two Creed songs, because you (laughs) like that sound. You just don't want to hear it over and over. You're thinking of that really tinny, solid state, like guitar noodling. That is the Creed (laughs) sound. Yeah. 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 Was that Vertical Horizon? Might no, well that, was that. that was the era. <laughs> All right. but the, 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 I will say with with higher one little anecdote. If and I sent it to the thread one time, but it's it's really hard to find the clip. But I remember when I saw the skulls, and there is a scene oh, in that God. movie when it's it's Joshua Jackson and the the late Paul Walker, uh, Paul Walker mm-hmm. and they're like they they're they're both standing there in this like uh, reception area for all the skulls members, and they're like, uh, hey check it out and like all these like babes walk through and it starts playing higher and then you see the two friends like look at each other going like oh yeah and I just, <laughs> all right i gotta it find is so lame it is so right. 2000 like, that, that is 2000 to me for our socials 
Yeah, but it's ridiculous. Let, we're going to talk about Creed a little bit later because they, they yeah. round out the soundtrack, the bookend sure of the soundtrack. So let's talk a little bit about Wait and Bleed by Slipknot, the debut single from Slipknot. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, Venerable. This is the Terry Date mix of Wait and Bleed. Oh, I didn't know that this was. Oh, I. This is, yeah, this is, please. Because now please the song did have two music videos one uh-huh. featuring a live performance, one in Claymation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song is one of the band's signature tunes and earned their first Grammy nomination in 01. You know who they lost to? Uh, Steely Dan. <laughs> uh, Jethro Tull. No, it was uh, Deftones for Elite. But it did win. Well, we'll it makes did, sense because that album is much better. It did I agree, win the 100%. best single at the 2000 Kerrang! Awards. Were you guys ever Kerrang! readers? Oh, I still no. go to Kerrang! for all my Iron Maiden fixes, to uh, be fair. I, listen, check this out. Uh, Corey Taylor, a very articulate guy, great taste yes. in horror movies. Uh-huh. He's a big horror head. He drives me he's crazy. All over to, those, he's all over those in, in Search of Darkness documentaries. He too. drives me crazy the way Dave Grohl does. Like, yeah, I could probably be friends with this guy, but why are you so insufferable? No, I, I, I like. I think that he would be a fun hang. I think he'd be a fun hang. But like, Corey Taylor, if you're listening, and we'll have you on. Vanderbilt will have to be on the episode. <laughs> wait, wait, and, wait and Bleed's their best song, though, too. Like, so much good. of this album, particularly this Slipknot song, reminds me of like every trashy party I went to in the early 2000s where it was just you know scumbag dudes talking about how good these bands are. <laughs> and they always culminated with people putting cig- cigars out of your cigars neck. Cigars out on the back of my neck. <laughs> Uh, All right, next 20s. song. Next song. Next song. We got. We have fourteen yeah. more songs right. to go through. Suffocate by Finger Eleven. Canadians. And- this is the worst. <laughs> I. This period of music is so awful, and this is one of the go-to bands I think of. Is like the Finger Eleven, the bottom of the barrel. Like the titles. The, the titles bands record? are so deadly. You right. know. This is all right. So then I, I gotta I gotta step in here because I, I think it's actually fitting that we are talking about this soundtrack like two weeks after that Woodstock. Well, Woodstock not, absolutely. That's yeah. gonna come like, up a lot because every one of these bands was there. Played right? Woodstock '99. Yeah, just because about I every think- single one. Because the thing that's crazy about the reason why I remember all these names is that they like they were all radio station heavies and they all used to come into town for all the radio station gigs. Like we had like Zeta's Halloween roast and oh, they yeah, were yeah. always uh, there. We had the Q and a One Jamboree yeah. and uh, the Q and a One Twisted Christmas, and uh, that's what uh, the, these bands would have been playing on in this era. But it's just it's just such an embl- it's so emblematic of just like the shittiest fucking era. Because like I. I think that, you know, look, the true pitfall of Woodstock, I don't, I think the biggest thing is the hyper-corporization. I think that's emblematic of this whole era. And I think it's reason why we have these type of bands is because they're like fucking pushed by all these big, huge, giant labels that were just like, all right, let's get this going. Let's get this who, who going. Don't even really, who don't even really listen to records like Saul Siler and no, that thing God, you do. No, oh, God, no. Oh, God. So we, right, I, got some funny, I got some fun trivia about Figure 11, though. They were formed in 1990 as Rainbow Butt Monkeys while they were in high school. <laughs> Oh, boy. Also on Wind Up Records, like all these artists are from Wind Up Records. It's very similar to the first Scream soundtrack where a lot of those artists were on TVT who released yeah. the, the album. Voices. Uh, they, you know, toured, they were produced by Our Lady of Peace frontman Arnold Lanny. Ooh, uh, I like him. Support act for Creed and Fuel. No joke. And, I'm not surprised that Our Lady of Peace opened for Creed. And then Suffocate. Here's my be- be- one of my favorites. Suffocate was featured under 2000 on The Greatest of Blue Skies. And other songs off that album, First Time and Drag You Down, were featured in Dragon Ball Z, Lord Slug, which is going to come up again. Can't wait. Track four. Spiders, System of Down. Here's, here's what I don't like about System of the Down, because people who didn't like this kind of music but were more into like the punk and E-Rock, they would give a pass to these guys for mm-hmm. one reason yeah. or another, and I, 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 think they, I still think they suck. I never got it. Never got it. All right. 
Anybody else? Anybody else on spiders? System of Down. Anybody have any opinions? I mean, I got nothing. They're unique yeah. sound. I think in the same way that like you could say that like, oh yeah, corn's unique. Having said that, I don't really want to listen to it. What did we say earlier? I mean, just to be fair though, like, I remember when good. I I remember when I got really mm-hmm. sick off of painkillers when I had my wisdom teeth taken out and I vomited, and now that was unique. <laughs> because I usually only vomit if I drink too much. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, but it's still vomit. <laughs> still vomit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If, now, if there's a gem for me on the screen. I'm really please. going after these bands. If, <laughs> these cannot be any of the poll, the poll, the poll quote. We're tagging you know, like American of, Pearl. Right. There are a lot of loyal listeners, a lot of avid fans. Who Listen, are, these guys are all wait. richer than I will ever be. I'm punching up. Okay? They cannot I'm up. wait for us to cover this soundtrack. I think they know that none of us like this kind of music. But okay. All right. So a, next up. That said, if there's a gem on this soundtrack, I'd say it's automatic by american pearl formed in 97 by guitarist and tattoo artist kevin quinn guitarist kevin roganton did you say tattoo artist yeah of course that makes sense yeah Uh, Uh, yeah la club scene guys signed to wind up in 99 opened for buck cherry the cult played woodstock 99 of course buck cherry exactly their debut was produced by steve jones of the sex pistols and that's crazy in addition to being featured in scream 3 uh, Automatic is also featured in Dragon Ball Z, Lord Slug, and they would have... Is this a wind-up records production And well, then they also were on uh, Dragon Ball Z, Cooler's Revenge, with Revelation. Oh, I always prefer Freddy's Revenge to Cooler's Revenge. <laughs> listen, I listen, I'll say this. Some people are American Pearl Automatic fans. I'm more of an American Girl Automatic for the People fan. You know what I mean? Oh, God. <laughs> That's where my wavelength goes. Right. Okay, Jesus. track number six. Ball, Seven Dust, who are a bit of an anom- anomaly in the hard rock scene because they had a black lead singer. You know what? Yeah, I will. Yeah. Here's my defense of Seven Dust. I thought that there were a couple songs in that first album that are actually pretty good. I will say that. They, I thought uh, that had some good songs. Yeah, formed in '94. They played the infamous Woodstock '99, toured with Slipknot, Corn, Nonpoint, Reveille, Mudvayne, Limp Bizkit, uh, and uh, Chicago's own, the South Suburbs' own, Disturbed. Uh, they're they're from around my side of town. Uh, they were a big deal. Now, it might surprise be- Disturbed isn't on here, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think they were big enough yet. I don't think they'd really hit. Uh, until like oh one, they were a bonus track. It was, yeah, oh one was yeah. Well, you know what killed a lot of this music was uh, September eleventh. That's why mm-hmm. Creed kind of took off, and these other bands kind of fell off because mm-hmm. uh, labels were looking for more positive tunes. But because I want to talk about the producer on this track, uh, it was recorded by producer Sylvia Massey, and Massey mm. was best known for her work with Tool, System of a Down, uh, Johnny Cash, Chili Pepper. She got her start as a producer, engineer, and mixer for a comp called Rat Music for Rat People that featured adole- Great name, adolescence, raw power, Mojo Nixon, like 80s, uh, 80s L.A. punk Guys, she produced. She was a producer on Green Jello, aka Green Jelly's debut, that featured. I was mem- just gonna make a joke earlier because you mentioned that one video with Claymation. Yeah, and I was gonna make a Green Jelly reference. Yeah. That's, ins- that's insane. Well, you know that hey, band you- was featured members of Tool. Maynard James Keaton sings on the Three Little Pigs. I think the drummer plays on it, and she worked closely with uh, Rick Rubin. Still works as an independently as a producer, educator, promoter, and it's kind of cool. I think she's a name uh, that more people should know. So, well, the giant, that's the giant cash connection with Ruben, I'm yeah. assuming, right? Oh, yeah, she did. Yeah. I mean, you look at her list of uh, you know, what she worked at. It's pretty impressive. Sylvia Massey. But she was okay. also heavy in this scene, too, because her name will come up again. Well, I guarantee you, you're going to hear a lot about Green Jelly this fall because uh, Carnage is coming out. And they did the songs. <laughs> they did the music for the video game, Maximum That's Carnage. right. I had the single. Yeah. Uh, okay, next, so, song. next song. Time Bomb by Godsmack. I'm out. I'm out, 100%. <laughs> uh, 100% out. Uh, they're a ripoff of Alice in Chains, so you get you get the whole uh, echoes. Uh, now, of, they uh, claim that that name, that song, did not come from 
the Alice in Chains songs. Uh, uh, the story is uh, lead singer Sully Erna was making fun, some fun of someone with a cold sore and ended up getting one the next day, and someone called it a god smack. He's so full well, of I think shit. there's a couple of different ways like, you look at the name of this band. If I could, if I could illustrate those views, go ahead. You look at God Smack, you think, oh, God doing heroin, or you could think of my brother and that he was born of the one true God, God's Mac. Oh God, <laughs> for fuck's sake! All right, all right, guys. What are we uh, moving on, Vanderbilt? Uh, moving on from an that? apostrophe, you know. What uh, tour? Okay, here's a fun fact. Before you before you talk about Cold Chamber, no, I want to ask what was. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, wait, go I was going to say, what uh, big music festival did Godsmack play at? Woodstock '99. Absolutely, they did. And they also this next song s- that you're going to talk about supported for Black Sabbath. They also next song. They also opened for Limp Bizkit and uh, <laughs> wrote the song for the Scorpion King. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And and their song was the theme song for MTV's Fear. Look. I don't like Godsmack. I hate them. I always thought they were a total ripoff of Alice in Chains. But man, that fucking song Voodoo is not too bad. It's a it's got it's got an atmosphere. I'll give it that. Look, is some that people like that song Wahlberg Voodoo, movie? and you know, for Voodoo, for me, it's like I like Voodoo from Friday Night Lights, and I like Hoodoo Voodoo by Woody Guthrie. You know, that's oh, fine. That's good. Too. Well, Friday Night Lights. Like it's good. Song. Good show. My joke for this next song is that it was rejected from the Fight Club soundtrack. Oh, what's it called, Ben? <laughs> it's called Tyler's Song by Cold Chamber. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, now this now the other <laughs> label that seems to come up a lot was they were signed to Roadrunner. Roadrunner, I think, also signed Nickelback early on. Uh, they were playing. Oh, thank Oz- you so much to Roadrunner Records. They were playing. Oz- they played Ozfest. They were featured on the soundtrack oh. of another horror classic. Uh, do you guys know which one from nineteen ninety eight ninety nine? Featuring Urban a, Legend um, Final Cut. Featuring a famous rock and roller. Oh, is it a uh, is it Urban Legend? No, it's not. Because you get a famous rock and roller in there and Jared Leto. Um, oh, get out of here. It's a strange <laughs> land with fucking Dee Snyder, man. Oh, yeah. Wow. Actually, oh. Talk with Kevin Gage from Heat. Oof. Yeah, so, yeah. So, Death I, I is remember, for the dead. He, he gives all his platitudes. fucked up. Yeah, that's a fucked up movie, oh, yo. That's okay. Gold Chamber. Uh, <laughs> up next, So Real, Static X. Now, this was a fun bit of trivia. I did not know this, that Wayne Static... I have some trivia for you, too. Wayne Static this. formed the band after his other band, Deep Blue Dream, disbanded, and that band featured Smashing Pumpkins frontman, Billy Corgan. Oh. Now, I like how you actually said Wayne Static and didn't start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's a fun fact. My brother ran into the lead singer of Static X, of course, Wayne Static, on the God second Static. floor of Virgin Megastore in Orlando, Florida. Dressed just like he is on the stage, and he was like just perusing through the magazines. <laughs> it's so surreal. I like I anyway, like when, I like when musicians yeah, truly live the life. But I, this tune appears to be recorded specifically for the soundtrack, or it was like a throwaway from his album, which I wanted to touch on because we didn't touch on the Center Scream Two episode, the Liz Fair tune "Bloodkeeper," mm. which was I believe a B side or something that she recorded during like her more independent days, and it uh, mm. was supposed to be on the Scream Two soundtrack, but it got cut. Hmm. Shame. Yeah. So up next, Crowded Elevator, Incubus. Here's a boring fucking band, huh? No, I disagree. I, with I that. disagree. Here we go. I think Incubus has some good songs. I did too. I think their their album, A Crow After the Murder, is pretty fantastic. I don't remember this song. I cannot speak. This it's was not good only enough. available as a Japanese, adi- aside from being on the Scream 3 soundtrack. 
It was uh, on the Japanese edition. It was a bonus track of their 99 album, Make Yourself. And they were signed by Paul Pontus, the uh, epic immortal A&R guy who was also responsible for For Jesus Christ's death. For signing Gore. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) Oh, that was Pontius Pilate. I apologize to him. Uh, (laughs) My my, my people apologize also. (laughs) Jim, that's that's a Mike Rothman joke. You can say that joke. Jim... Mike, Where you're one of the chosen people. Incubus? I am. If, if you put a gun to my head and say, name an Incubus song, mm. I would die. Well, now you can say Crowded Elevator. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> now, thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> truly I, a lifesaver. <laughs> honestly, one of the more listenable tracks on here, but I think yeah. it's because it's so boring. I, this is <laughs> an contrarian, that's the most contrarian take I've ever in my well, life. I'll, I'll say this it's about the song. It's one of the more tracks because it's so boring. <laughs> so as, an, as a former Incubus fan, um, I, I will say this is definitely more emblematic of their stuff that they did on their sophomore album, um, or the third album, actually. Um, Incubus, or no, it's actually their second album, uh, Science. Science. It's more like that because it was more funky, you know, but whereas with Make Yourself, they really did kind of like lean in into like the late 90s alternative. And I always thought they were like a really nice reprieve from the bullshit, like, you know, yeah. drop D new metal because they had some melody. They managed to kind of connect more with that great, like popular 97 alternative a little bit. But I, I never liked you'd always hear these total bros that are like, oh, fungus among us and like science is the best. And it's like those fucking albums suck. Like they're <laughs> it's all new metal bullshit riffing. Well, and you know what I appreciate about Brandon Boyd, the lead singer of Incubus? So he let himself go gray. Yeah. Oh, did he, he really? Did not, he doesn't have that weird, matted down, dark black hair, brown well, hair. That I, looks so fake. I have a tattoo <laughs> on my waist uh, because I wanted to be. I, I was the guy from the Incubus covers. No, no, I, I didn't. I did not do that. No, I have a tattoo on my waist of of, of Kurt Cobain's drawing. But like, I thought that I would be. I was. I thought Brandon Boyd was such an ideal looking man. I was so attracted. He's to a him. hunk. He's still so, great. He's just. He's absolutely gorgeous. And like, he's his body physique is like my favorite type of body physique. You know, I, I don't know. Anyway, that's a digression. <laughs> that's all of the story. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna um, Google an image. Save, save he's that gorgeous. For research. Save that. Well, for you know what's funny Adria. about the next track that Vanderbilt's going to talk about when I was looking at the soundtrack. I mistook Dope for the band <laughs> Orgy. A little did I know uh, that Orgy will also be making an appearance on the soundtrack. They were dope Let's talk ne- about Dope, who ironically used the, 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 the word debonair for their <laughs> next track. <laughs> I think I listened to this last night. I remember it being short, and I liked that about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, their debut solo album, Felons and Revolutionaries, featured covers of Fuck the Police and You Spin Me Around Like a Record, which was featured in American Psycho. I do remember uh, that cover of Spin Me Around. And Cover mm-hmm. of Fuck the Police, that'd go well over well today. And yeah. Debonair um, was not only featured in Screen 3, but another film in a now classic franchise. Do we know what it may be? That came out in 2000, 2001, 2001. Saw? No, not horror. Final Destination. Oh, 2001. No. Big franchise. Um, Huge. Oh, um, Fast and Furious. Fast and the Furious. Mm. Oh, another awful soundtrack, though, yeah. for Fast and Furious. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else got anything to say about dope? No. no, but I think that this next song was indicative of parties around 1999-2000. And I think a nice kind of throwback. It sounds more like it would fit in on the first Dream soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Sunburn by that. Fuel. What's funny about that is when you think about it, you can get burned by the sun and fuel. <laughs> Fucking God. You think about that? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, I love it. Hey, good tune. Fuel is, fuel is interesting because, like, I, again, kind of like, 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 because the, like, <laughs> I, 
I, I, thought good, that, good. I thought that they like Incubus. Oh, Brandon off. Boyd ain't that hot. He's all right, I guess. Uh, I, I don't switch him up. I disagree. Uh, he's, he's a hot. He's fucking you know, hot. Brandon Boyd is the rock hard hunk of this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He is. Um, I, I just remember thinking that Fuel was another band that felt like a reprieve too, because like that song Hemorrhage is has melody. Like that's the thing. It's like I I hate the fact that so much of this era, and that's not to say like new metal doesn't have melody because it does. Most I mean, like, of them we, don't, we, but they don't. Yeah, and like I so was when you hoping to find some gems on this. Like maybe I just was too much of an angry young man in two thousand and just <laughs> couldn't get no. into this stuff because I was being a dick. It's like no, it's no. bad. Anger no, was it's bad. Yeah. But I think Fuel is one of more glimmers uh, uh, or shimmers to use yeah. borrow the one of their mm. titles in this on this soundtrack. Good I would tune. Argue. I like this tune. Right. This was a this was yeah. a gem. Yeah, it's used bad. it's used well too in the movie where it's like it kind of does it goes to Jennifer's house and they kind of have like an overarching shot of Los Angeles. It, That's it, the party it feels scene. right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So uh, okay. Oh. Well, good news, everybody. We're two thirds of the way through. I, <laughs> dude, I thought I I forgot that there was so much, but we're moving through. I we're know. moving through it. This uh, next one is important because we share a network with them, um, uh, ooh, actually. Get On, Get Off by Power Man 5000? Well, Spider One, uh, he's the host of Bleeders Digest on Bleeders. Oh, Hosting I did not know that. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, shout out. We love this band. This is like, I will say, I, <laughs> I did, and that's Rob Zombie's his brother, brother, right? His brother, yeah. his younger brother. I actually do like, I remember liking the song that came out. This is what it's like when worlds collide. No, yeah, yeah you know what? They're kind of cool. They're kind of weird. Uh, and they're yeah. like Rob Zombie, for his being as heavy as he is, he always leaned into melody too. And I think, I do think Power Man 5000 does, even though I can't say that I own any of their records. But this, well, they've got incredible band member names, but we, yeah. we just, we literally do not have the time to get into but, it, unfortunately. So we, have, we must continue. It's worth noting that this, I'm assuming this tune was recording during the Tonight the Stars Revolt session, which is the one you're talking about. That's right next to the basement tapes in terms of <laughs> But it was stuff. produced by Sylvia. <laughs> the album was produced by Sylvia Massey. Oh, Sylvia Massey makes her comeback. They toured with Corn, Kid Rock, System of Down, like everybody else. But I don't think they played Woodstock '99. No, they. I don't, I don't think, think they would have at that point. Oh. I, but the, my favorite anecdote of Paramount Five Thousand is uh, the first night that we were at Sundance in 2015. Oh, this is good. Justin and I had to share a bed. That's right. Because before we moved to another hotel room, I had like two rooms and all. And I remember we wouldn't shut the fuck up for like two hours because we kept singing the first introduction of Worlds Collide. We were just like, this is what it's like when Worlds Collide. And like we just kept it's doing kind that. Kind of a cool for an weird hour. tune. Like, especially it if you is. like, like, I like it. If you like sci fi movies and old, like, just like Rob Zombie and old horror oh, stuff, yeah. like, there's something kind of cool and weird about it. It's diggable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not, not bad. Not bad song. Now, this next band, can I explain this real quick, Vanderbilt? No, go ahead. Okay. I'm running out. I'm running, is, I'm running out of shit to say about these bands. The next band, the song is Wanna Be Martyr, and it's by a band called Full Devil Jacket. Now, Full Devil Jacket is a play on Full Metal Jacket, which was made famous by Stanley Kubrick uh, in, the, in the late 80s, in case anybody didn't get that reference, which is a really great, cool, kind of like a dark, fucked up reference, you know, with the devil. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have a lot to say about the songs. Anybody else have anything to say about not Full Devil Jacket? Bad as far as this stuff goes. A mm. little bit more melodic, heavy. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a question. They toured mm. with Creed, Nickelback, and Cold Chamber, Slipknot, yeah. and they played a uh, fairly uh, notable uh, rock and roll festival in 1999. Do you guys know which festival it was Warp. that they played? Close. Warp. We're getting there. Anybody else? Um, What's the um, other skate, the skater one? Um, uh, the Oz Festival. Uh, no, no, they may have been on there, but of course, 
I'm talking about the Us Festival, <clears throat> guys. It's Woodstock '99. <laughs> oh, you bastard! You missed great misleading misdirection. Yeah, misdirect. All right. You know they, they're from they're from Jen's uh, backyard, actually, Jackson, Tennessee. Oh, are oh. they? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. well. Jen, I have welcome, a question everyone. for you. <laughs> Do you prefer Full Devil Jackets Wannabe Martyr or Spice Girls Wannabe? Wannabe. You know. I have to lean on the Spice Girls, although yeah, I do I like, agree. there's one full, my morning jacket song that I do like, mm. which I believe is maybe yeah. on the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack. You're probably right. Yeah, which is Makes sense. better than the <laughs> This next band did a cover of oh, God. Blue Monday. Yes, they did. On the same record. Um, their Destina- this, or Dissension by Orgy was off their 98 album Candy Ass. The band appeared on the Family Values tour with... Corn, Incubus, and Limp Biscuit. This is the whole scene. This is the wind up records scene it that's really happening is. here. Um, yeah. You know what? Orgy is one of those bands. Like a lot of these ones, like they have that industrial influence, and I do mm-hmm. dig industrial. Like I like Ministry as much as the next guy and some of that stuff. And I've 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 partied and did drugs at Neo. Like I've been out. Well, who has exit? I've been out <laughs> in the world, but like oh, you've been to, you went to Neo. Yeah, I went to Neo. Wow! Every Halloween, I would make it a point. How, Neo was Neo, Neo was a cool club. I like Neo. Mm. I know. I can't believe it, it, bro, it shut down. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, um, Lincoln Park ain't the same Lincoln Park, right? I was gonna say, yeah, not really the same. It's not weird. It's Speaking probably weird to go era, to but like, Lincoln Park. Well, I guess that's <laughs> yeah. just the kind of music that it's cool in the club, but I'm never gonna put the record on at oh, home God, when I'm no. drinking, uh, mm. like at my bar, or my rumpus room. Well, I think the reason is because we we know what you've got fired up. You've got Stains Crawl fired up on that so old now, turntable. I got some. There's a funny bit of trivia about Stain that I have here because they. So the, the Crawl originally appeared on the band's second studio album, Dysfunction. Now the band was signed to Flip Electra by uh, who, uh, a gentleman who made an appearance in Chicago this week with a very drastic look. One Joe Biden, Fred Durst. Fred Durst. Oh. He helped the band record Dysfunction. <laughs> now Stain had been opening for Limp Bizkit at the Webster Theater in Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> and the band showed Durst the cover of their Tormented uh, al- uh, album, which they had put out, and it featured a crucified Barbie doll. Oh, that's fucking edgy as fuck. Which fuck. led, uh, but this it gets shit. Fuck. It gets so silly because so shit. fucked up. This le- God, it's fucked this up. This led Durst to believe the band were Satanists <laughs> and wanted them off the bill. But oh my God. he oh, let God. them play and was impressed by them and then came on and worked that dysfunction with them. Well, they may not be saying this, but based on the last couple of years with Aaron Lewis, I assure you, he's going straight my to God. hell. Is- Next <laughs> track, number right. 17. Jesus. This is a reference to Conan O'Brien's late night sketch in the year 2000. It's called Ear 2000, and the song is Click Click. And who is the main man in Click Click? Do we know? That would be... Arquette? Red Durst. Oh. <laughs> David Arquette. Yeah. But they were also featured on the Scream 2 soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, right. I, that's oh, why you, I remember oh, I thought you were fucking with me. Oh. No, yeah. This no, is no, same, no. Like, David Arquette must have it in his contract that he gets his band's song on Not it, bad contract. all the movies in. Yeah. They still yeah, have a, like a real GeoCities looking website uh, that you guys should check out for year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> What if he's in Scream Five? Is the song like it's the only song they have on the soundtrack? It's like no, I think you know, you know what, Mike. I think it's going to be the click click song, but it's going to be the Terry Date mix, much oh. like Slipknot's "Wait and Bleed" at the Terry Date mix. <laughs> yeah, nice throwback though, for All sure. Right, there's one more song. I can't believe we wrapped this up so fast. This is pretty good. Oh, oh god, yeah, only an hour and a half. Uh, the last song is the aptly titled "Is This the End" by Creed. Uh, now you forgot. This is the Scream edit. Hmm. 
Which oh, seems, you're right. I don't know what well, that it, means, but I don't either. Because didn't they write it deliberately for Scream? That I don't know. Well, because technically, it's, it still is a Scream edit. It's featured. <laughs> it's featured on the second disc of Human Clay. Like there was a special edition with like okay. some acoustic stuff and bonus tracks. And kind of how Moby's Hotel had the ambient disc. <laughs> this was on her, so I think maybe they... Hey, Woodstock 99, yeah. Moby, right? Okay. Yeah. But uh, I tell you what, if there, again, if if there's a Creed song I like, I think this one's good. I, I think it yeah. is one of the better songs on the soundtrack, if not the best. And I think it really kind of captures the melodrama of the Scream series and is kind of a nice way to end it. Well, there's one more song. I was oh. actually going to read all the lyrics because... Nick Cave updated mm-hmm. Red Right Hand specifically for this movie. Really? The Red Right Hand that you hear in this movie is our brand new lyrics. It's called Red Right Hand Part 2, two. I believe. Yes. Um, it's pretty interesting. They are a little bit more tied into Scream, actually, specifically. But it's really long. I do encourage people to check it out. He even says Scream once, Scream twice, now Scream again, which is kind of fun. I... Wonder if yeah. the reason why he's not on the soundtrack is because Nick Cave looked at the track list and was like, "No deal." Yeah, <laughs> right. Except I, I would known. not be surprised. He's like, guys. you know what? I'm good to go. I don't need to necessarily be lumped in there with, you know, Finger Eleven suffocate. So okay. hey, look, Scream Three soundtrack definitely the my least favorite of the soundtracks that we've discussed so far. Totally. Yeah. Very I mean, kind. I remember I, when I, this. To be fair, I think uh, my favorite. I, but the thing is, like, oh, God, yeah. What if you just, like, went all on that hill? You just died on it? I was just, playing like, contrarian right. the whole time. Actually, I'm a big fan You know, the of thing is, though, there yeah. is a generation. So I was 19, 20 when this, all this uh, stuff was hitting, this new metal, rap rock, you know, whatever you go. You know, there's a, there's a band called In With The New and you, a uh, local tribute band that plays at the bar by my house, Bourbon Street, pretty frequently. And they mm. get, I've seen them once, and I, they're fine, they're a cover band, but they get a nice crowd because there are people that maybe are our age or even a little bit younger who are seriously nostalgic for this era of music. I know. It's... And you know what? That's what I'm saying. I, I understand. There's stuff I like that people hate and vice versa. It's just, oh God, you know, I, I get it. I get it. I, 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 as long as they're good people, they can like whatever they want. I don't care. I'll yeah. say that. Go for it, Jen. I was going to say, it's this very like indicative of a time period, too. It's yeah, almost kind definitely. of like mood music, you know, if that's the mood you're... Oh, it it took me right back, like, listening to this stuff. Like I said, all those shitty fucking parties I was at. Yeah. Where people were trying to tell me, no, but this one's the good band out of all this stuff. I'm like, oh, I, right, bet, they, yeah. I bet they are. This one with a slightly similar name that sounds just like the other one. But if that's what you love, there's a plethora of music for you to listen to. Yes. You know? And we, I, as we learned from the soundtrack alone. Right. Endless. I really do credit this soundtrack as like probably one of the reasons why I didn't really didn't really like sit with Scream 3 a lot. Because as yeah. I mentioned in Scream 2, like I lived with that soundtrack. Like I just I, I, I just wore it out. I took it everywhere with me. And that was the time when you had like you had to really choose what CDs you're going to take because you had to put the CDs in. And so that this one, I remember when it came out and I just looked at the track list and I was like, Oh no. Well, it goes to what you were saying earlier about the end of the party where you're like, Oh wow, this series is running. This series that I mm-hmm. loved as for me as a high schooler is running out of steam. Pop culture is shifting and yep. it's not, it's not something I want to be a part of, but thankfully because of this, we got the Strokes, we got the Killers, we got yeah, sure, we got a whole lot of uh, you know, kind of cool pop, uh, pop and punk music in the early two thousands. If only Scream Three had come out in two thousand one, it would I have know. been Jimmy Eat World, uh, the Strokes, who White else stripes. had been on there? White Stripes, a little oh. early for the Killers, and Ladies, maybe. Oh well, 
tough we'll things happened in uh, you know tough things happened in 2001, but thank God for skinny jeans, uh, chain smokers, and lots of cocaine. So you know we got some good rock and roll from that. Ryan uh, Adams would have been on that soundtrack for yeah. better or worse. For a franchise that is very centered on a really strong female character, two strong female characters, this soundtrack point. has a shocking lack of female vocalists and musicians. So yeah. maybe that's part of the disconnect. So none, right? Are there yeah. any? On this soundtrack? I mean, none that I noticed. Yeah. That's a very yeah. good point. And there's like yeah. 19 songs in this movie if you count Red yeah. Right Hand, too. Because uh, you think about like Scream, closing credits. I mean, that's sung by a woman. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> okay. Well, good news, everybody. We are breaking this up into two <laughs> action packed episodes in honor of the action packed Scream 3. Now, you may have noticed we also did the same thing for Scream 2, which wasn't as action-packed, but you know where we're going. We've got a lot to say about these movies, about the production, the pre-production, behind the scenes, the characters, the kills, and of course, as you just discovered, all that sweet, sweet 2000s music. (laughs) So we will be back here shortly uh, for our second episode on Scream 3, but until then... I'll be Bye, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>